This podcast is brought to you on Roku and Fire TV by Pod Nation Podcast TV. Find us on X, Facebook, Instagram, or wherever podcasts are broadcast. Download our app and never miss a show with video on demand as well as exclusive content found only on Pod Nation TV. Live from Hong Kong, it's the Monster Island Film Vault bonus episode 15, The Abominable Snowman 1957, featuring Matt Walsh. Welcome to the Monster Island Film Vault, a podcast seeking entertainment and enlightenment through tokusatsu. I am your host, the film curator on location now from Monster Island, Nate Marchand. But as you can see, or rather hear, I should say it's a podcast. What am I talking about? It's a radio show. Come on. Get with it, Marchand. Jimmy's not here. He's sightseeing with his Planet X girlfriend in Hong Kong which is actually where I would prefer to be right now. And why is that? You want to know why? It's because this guy, this guy, jumped to the highest Patreon tier. And who is that? Well, you know him and you probably hate him. The infamous Matt Walsh. Mr. Marchand. It's me. Uh Matt Walsh. Nice beard, by the way. Thank you. I'm angry at you, Mr. Marchand. I went to Ogasawara Island to find uh-huh. you. Uh-huh. You were not there. No, I wasn't. They didn't give you the memo? No. You didn't get my... Of course, the board didn't give you the memo. I tried to contact you, but apparently mm-hmm. you didn't get my daily wires. Oh, I'm sorry. So, I swam all the way from there to here, which is China. Last I checked, yes. China. You brought me to China. Technically, you brought yourself. I'm here because of you. Yes. I paid a beer. Uh-huh. I'm here. Uh-huh. I'm in China. Mm-hmm. Hong Kong. I'm in hell. So I came here, came out of the ocean, to China. There were Chinese people everywhere. Uh-huh. That's usually what happens in China. It smelled like communism. Oh, mm. And then so I... A little less people. so in Hong Kong, you know, British colony and all that. Still China. Mm-hmm. So I looked around for you. Couldn't find you. And I was hungry. So I haven't eaten days. I've been in the ocean. So I went to a Chinese restaurant, mm-hmm. I walked in, then I left because it was full of Chinese people. Well, yes, all the restaurants in China so are Chinese. I looked around for you some more. Uh-huh. Couldn't find you. I realized I was still hungry. Mm-hmm. It had been days. Mm-hmm. I went to a McDonald's. Uh-huh. I'm sorry. So I went in. There were Chinese people. Uh-huh. They spoke Chinese. So I left. Uh-huh. I looked around for you some more. Uh-huh. I finally found where could he possibly be. And I finally found... This giant robotic metal toy. Yes. I thought, that idiot has to be on there because it's a toy. Yes, I know. I'm a child because I have a toy. He plays with toys. I play, I play with toys. Giant toys. You see? But you got to understand, technically, this is not my toy. This is Jimmy's toy. He put it together. It's like a massive model kit. It's still a toy. Mm-hmm. So I thought, that idiot has to be in there. So... Being a grown man, I have no toys. Mm-hmm. Being a child, you, you have toys. Uh-huh. He has to be in the toy. So I climbed up the giant toy. I kicked, I kicked, I thudded, threw rocks at it. It mm-hmm. wouldn't come out. Mm-hmm. And I was so hungry and tired. So you know what I did? What? 
I killed myself. Huh? I'm a ghost. Boo. Ah! So now, my astral self went up into this toy, and I see that it was made by Japanese people and aliens from the future. Mm-hmm. First with Japanese. Did we not learn anything from Pearl Harbor? I guess not. So, but I saw aliens. Aliens. I thought, huh, I like aliens. Those are cool. Mm-hmm. I, my, my intrepid producer has a hot alien girlfriend, but I assure you it's not the ones that were in the mall. Is she Chinese? No, she looks Japanese, but I just, I'm just saying, I assure you it's not the ones that were at the mall down in Florida. Not those 20-foot aliens that no. were out there? Mm-mm. I thought there were, were 25. Of course but... there were 25-foot aliens. There were 25 cops. And like there's at least 25, 50, 100 cops. Mm-hmm. That's the aliens. Mm-hmm. So now I'm here mm-hmm. talking to you. Uh-huh. Boo. Ah. Uh-huh. oh wait i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry it's not that matt walsh it's this matt walsh (laughs) it's the cool one (laughs) one who likes chinese food and shapes i'm i'm wondering how many of the kaiju lovers (laughs) have already tuned out or uh, hopefully hopefully the the cool ones if they're if they're that put off they've uh, you know they've just skipped ahead the really cool ones here's like here's the tier there's like there's like the the uncool ones who just stop listening. Uh-huh. I'm like, I don't yeah. care. I got your download anyway. And then, <laughs> <laughs> it's great for the analytics, regardless of whether you you listen mm-hmm. for five seconds or five minutes or five hours. Oh wait, wrong show. And then there's the ones who are like, I don't like this, and they just skip ahead to, uh, to the end of the yep. bit. Then there are the top tier, the S tier kaiju lovers who stuck the whole thing out and thought it was funny. Hopefully, we are all the, that. Hopefully everyone is in that top tier. Yes. Because, by the way, if you had that Matt Walsh on the show, <laughs> everybody would listen. <laughs> They'd be like, okay, I hate that guy with my, my with my guts, but how the hell <laughs> did Nathan Marchand, How would the actual Christian hell? How would the actual Christian boiling holy water-fueled hell <laughs> did Nathan get that, that bearded curmudgeon on his show? Yeah, he's like... He's actually a millennial, but like, why do you talk like a boomer? He's anyway. our age, and he sounds 90. Yeah. Hey, get off my lawn. Get off my lawn. I'm not Clint Eastwood, but get off my lawn. Hello, Nathan. <laughs> yes. Hello. Hello. This is a little bit of an impromptu episode, because yes, you were that crazy. You failed to realize that the highest tier on Patreon <laughs> was a joke. It was just there for the humor. Sure. It was actually, I mean, come on. Come on. They were always like day pass tourist and, you know, weekend pass tourist, season pass tourist. And then it was the highest one is called Jimmy's intern. That's why Jimmy's not here. You're like, actually, I want to do that. So he gets the day off. So I'm sorry. We'll have to hang out with Jimmy and Kaguya a little bit later. First of all, I did that because you got to be nicer to Jimmy. I, what? Okay, be, why, why, why do people think Jimmy and I hate each other? We're actually best friends. We just poke each other because it's good radio. You've gotten better over the, the last few months, but for the, for a while it was, yes, Jimmy, yes, <laughs> Jimmy. No, Jimmy. And I'm like, hey, hey, hey. I, I, I don't know what kind of weird microphone. He's from NASA. Yeah, I know, but I don't know what kind of weird microphone he had because I anyone who's in the studio can hear him, can understand him perfectly. It's just... When when everybody else who's listening just hears robots, I don't yeah. understand. People think some some people have told me he's like, is Jimmy a robot? Like, no, he's not a robot. Well, we don't live in Charlie Brown world like you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get it. I get it. But anyway, like I said, I, 
I'll be out of the I'll be real sincere. I'm freaking ecstatic to be here. Oh, uh, I've been looking I'm forward to it. Ecstatic to be here. I've been looking forward to it. I mean, you you not only paid way too much <laughs> I paid to be just enough. Yeah, I paid just enough to be here. You actually went and found I don't know how you found a you know a, a Chinese pizzeria, but you found a Chinese pizzeria. You brought food. Mm-hmm. I had to make it myself. Yeah, I broke in the kitchen on the dough, made the dough, made, made the pizza. Boo. Yeah. I'm a, <laughs> exactly. I'm a ghost. I have time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that's the best line of this podcast. <laughs> I am going to meme that so much Glad just, to, early. just <laughs> to make people angry. Early. No, but yeah. I'm just, I, but no, uh, but anyway, I, I, so I saw that, I saw that on your thing and like, it's a joke. I'm like, sure it is. You were hoping somebody crazy like me would actually <laughs> do it. And he did. And you crazy. did. And then I basically, and then I basically added an episode and I'm, I'm happy. That I added an episode. This is a bonus episode. There, hey, the, there's, five Wednesdays in January this year anyway, and we do fifth Wednesday bonus episode. So here the, you go. January's the crappiest month. Yeah, back back it's, in the States. Yeah, cool. we're in Hong Kong. It's a little nicer here. Yeah, it's nicer here. It's it's a little more Chinese than I'm used to doing. I can't do it anymore. I can't keep it. But, uh, no, I, I, I've been a fan of your podcast for a long time. I know. I've listened to uh, we uh, the hilarious thing is that we met each we actually we, uh, met, we met each met, other yeah. in person at G Fest because I got some time I always get time off for G Fest from the uh-huh. island. Came That's to went to G Fest and we it was at the Pickwick. We were literally standing in line between movies at the men's room. Yep. Which is downstairs. Yep that that that, that death that those death steps. Yeah. And I and I was just chatting with somebody yeah. in line in front of me, and you were I can't remember you were either a few people ahead of me or a few people behind. I was me. ahead of you. Yeah, and you're like, "Are you Dayton Marchand?" No, no, that's not what happened. <laughs> oh, wait. there's more to it. I was there. I did it. I was talking about Godzilla versus Megalon. Ah, okay. Yeah. I was talking about how the rights for that movie were just a, a red tape nightmare. Uh huh. They are. They are. It's like mm. King Kong almost. Yeah, yeah. yeah I know. Just ha- just it, ask Joel Hodgson. Joel Hodgson asking uh, um, volume ten, which I have. That's the volume ten. I right? hate you. I know. You should. It's worth a lot of. Money. I'm gonna go kill myself. I'm a ghost. Boo. <laughs> Comedy comes in threes. Let's see what happens next. <laughs> anyway, but, but and I was talking about how that the rights to that movie are just a freaking hodgepodge. They were because they were, it was on TV for years, so there were so many copies floating around, so many bad edits floating around, so no one knew which version was the actual version in America. The rights were entangled, and then I said that, and then then Criterion got a hold of the actual copy from Toho themselves and released the the box set that we all mm-hmm. have. That we all have and still complain about for some reason that we all have. <laughs> that we all have. And so I hate it, but I bought it. They, but I, I hate it. Like, I don't want it. Two, please. <laughs> and so we started talking, and I started talking to you about it, and I recognized your voice. Mm-hmm. And I go, wait a minute. Are you are you Nathan Marchan? Masa mm-hmm. Film Vault? I was like, yeah. I'm like, I've been listening to you for like a year and a half. <laughs> I've listened to all your episodes. I listen to you at work, I listen to you at the gym. <laughs> Like, you're my jam, bro. <laughs> I'm like, holy crap. What are the odds? Yeah. And then you bought me popcorn. And I bought you I bought you a popcorn. Because I was like, dude, like you've been you've been entertaining me for months, if not over a year. Oh, uh, I'm glad year. my I'm glad my suffering has brought you so much happiness. Oh, Schadenfreude <laughs> with a capital everything. I love listening to you suffer and just listen to you abuse Jimmy. And, hey, he abuses right and, back. And I love how your uh, 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 pseudo sister just oh, bugs Lord. the crap out of you. Oh, good stuff, good stuff. And I thought, okay, and I saw the Patreon. I'm like, hey, I want to be on the show. So I 
Yeah, because I got a movie that I want to talk about. Oh yes, yes. Well, yeah. We talk this. About. This is an interesting choice, I have to say. It serendipitously, you know, not only was there a fifth Wednesday that I could fit this in for you, uh-huh. it also fits in with our new season theme because every country has a monster they're afraid of in their nation. Every monster has a country, yeah, station they call their home. Yes, the Monster Island World Tour. It's just unfortunately the board got wind of my idea for that and decided I'm going to send you on a wild goose chase. Or we, I should say. Because, mm-hmm. you know, it's more than one person. I'm sorry. Don't be offensive. Yeah, I've had wrong we, pronouns. We I'm start, sorry. We just started, okay? Yeah, we don't, just started. Anyway, Don't so, trigger me this early. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you are Matt Walsh, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so it fit in. I've already we, best China and Japan in the yeah, first two yeah, weeks, yeah, so, well, yeah. Uh, That was the other Matt Walsh. Yeah, but anyway, yeah he's not here now. Yeah, yeah, no, that guy. But anyway, so it fits in with our theme. It is the Abominable Snowman. I, there, I, I enunciated correctly there. From 19. 57, which is a Hammer film. So, for the first time on MIFV, we have a Hammer film. That is surprising. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not... I mean, I can already tell there is one that is for sure going to come up at some point in the future. Because it's a Harryhausen film. (laughs) Oh, okay. Ah, we like that one. Yeah. We like like that one. So she are us of our ilk like that. But yeah, so I, yeah. So, so they, uh, and it is also interestingly the third film with a Yeti that we have talked about on this show. Hopefully this will not be nearly as traumatic as the other one. It's, it's a good one. It's a good one. Although the other ones you watched for crap, but this is the good one. This is the good one. Be nice to have human. The Japanese version, anyway. Still haven't seen it. I have a copy because I know things. You're telling me this now. I've been here for hours. Oops. Suck. Anyway, that's okay. That's anyway, okay. anyway. I, yeah, I but you, uh, anyway. I know, I know where you live. It's, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, that's mm-hmm. what's I, I live in a giant robot right now. Mm-hmm. But anyway. <laughs> but anyway, so yes. Abominable Snowman, 1957. You were very adamant, actually, about talking about this one. Would you like to let everybody know why? Well, I have, like you, I'm a big fan of tokusatsu, big fan of monster movies. Nathan, what do we like in monster movies? We like the giant monster. We like city destruction. We like people being attacked. We like blood. Sometimes it's there. We like gore. We like effects. We like uh, Yajisu Burai explosions. This movie has almost none of that. And it's Hammer's best film. Oh, hot take, hot it, take. And the, the, hot, look, Hammer film, let's go brief Hammer film tangent. We like Hammer films. Curse of Frankenstein. Evil of Frankenstein. Horror of Dracula. Dracula, Prince of Darkness. The Mummy. Curse of the Mummy's Tomb. This one's my favorite. This one, I think, is Hammer's slept-on masterpiece. Mm. I prefer it over Curse of Frankenstein. I prefer it over The Mummy. I prefer it over all their horror movies. Mm. This is the one. All right, well, yeah, we're going to unpack that quite a bit. But, well, I first thing I should mention is like, what's the Doku topic for this one, Marjan? I already talked about it in the other two Yeti movies. <laughs> Go listen to Episode 7 on Half Human, and I believe it is... 
it's too bad Jimmy is not here so he could correct me. He'll probably put it in his blog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I believe it is episode 55, 56, somewhere around there for <clears throat> the 20th century. <clears throat> what? what was that movie? What was that movie? Uh, Joint of the 20th century, which also oh. had a snooty uh. British people. What was the movie called again? What was it? What was it? Huh? Yeti. Giant of the 20th century. Yes. It's a classic. Look it up. <clears throat> Apparently, it is considered an MIFV classic, much to my chagrin. Again. <laughs> Much to my grin. I, I was going to say, that was the as point. I said, apparently the more I suffer, the better the I've better been, the downloads. I've never heard you more verklempt by a movie. Verklempt. Verklempt. Is that a made-up word? Saturday Night Live. Oh. I'm oh. verklempt. I'm getting shmingles by molecular zoink. I'm verklempt. And all of my Jewish listeners have tuned out. <laughs> yeah, when I saw my name, of course they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> ben Shapiro quit wit- listening. A minute, you know, ten, you know, like five minutes ago. Even though, even though he would tell you the giant monster BS is the is the number one podcast in the country. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that. I forgot that giant monster. Is the best podcast in the country? country, yeah. country. yeah, yes. Oh, Matt and Grattan, yeah, you are uh, you are wonderful. Don't change. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, so by Will Snowman, what happens in this movie, Matt? In this film from Hammer Studios, circa 1957, what happens in this film is John Peter Cushing. Peter Cushing. <laughs> Peter Cushing plays a scientist named John. They go off him and Forrest Tucker and a group and a band of men. Four of the men go off to search for the abominable snowman, the elusive Yeti. They go up Yeti. S- yet they go for the Yeti. They go look for this monster, and they look for him. And the trouble in the Himalayas. In the Himalayas, they go to the Himalayas look for this monster. Tension. And they talk. And they talk to the llama who gives them advice. They talk, they talk to the llama who gives them advice, and the llama is saying to them, "Be careful looking for the Yeti." I'm not sure I understand. Now go in peace. <laughs> He's given them ominous warnings to look for the Yeti. He's given them ominous warnings that it may he may he, they're looking for the Yeti, but they may not find what they're looking for. So they trudge off. They encounter some perils along the way. Although they climb the mountain, they look they avalanches. Avalanches. The paranoid guide. Paranoid guide. Superstitious paranoid super, guide. Superstitious paranoid guide. They Kusang. Kusang. They encounter some bandits. Along the way, for all of ten seconds, <laughs> we'll get to that. Yeah. We'll get to that. We'll that. There's a reason they're there. Mm. And then tensions unlocked, and then we understand uh, the motives of Forrest Tucker's mm-hmm. character. Mm-hmm. That he may or may not be on the level with Peter Cushing, and as to his motives for looking for the Yeti. Mm-hmm. Then they finally come to a spot where they find. Oh, you forgot the wife. Oh. oh. Because the wife eventually says, like, My husband went off and did something dangerous and stupid. I'm going to go find him. She's not two feet tall. <laughs> she has a regular voice. <laughs> but the plot splits, and then we find that the wife is having second thoughts, and she's very worried about her husband. So then she goes off to find him. We go back to them at a plateau, and they found the Yeti. They have found a Yeti. But things are not good either. More peril ensues. More trouble happens. More yetis show up. More tension breaks up between the two between the men. And maybe, just maybe, not everybody's gonna make it out on this. In this trip. You think? And the the thing about this movie is, who's the enemy? Mm. Yeti, 
or themselves. Mmm, very existential. More existential than you might expect. More existential. This film's more existential than any Hammer film. Any, <laughs> any of them. I'm willing to believe that. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that, but we'll get into yeah. why I think that. But yeah, yes. yeah. So just some, you know, some quick information to let everybody know about this. So this is obviously it's a British film, mm-hmm. British film, which would make my former boss, who's actually only half British, very happy. I'm glad he's not here though. Sheesh. All right. You're hard to miss in this giant thing. <laughs> yeah, but so he, this was he released. He doesn't want to go to China either. <laughs> so this was released August 26, 1957 in Britain. It was given an A certificate, which you see right there on the front of the movie. That's how you know you have the British cut. Because when it was released by Fox, the studio that was involved with it in Britain was actually Warner Brothers Britain. But it was distributed by Fox in the United States. And they called it the abominable snowman of the Himalayas, which apparently confused the director because he's like, I didn't know there was more than one. <laughs> it's like, and the guy who was interviewing was like, yeah, there are. I mean, come on. There's one from Canada. I had to deal with that one. <laughs> Neither human nor female. Anyway. <laughs> so, and still, then it was, you still feed in that, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Jimmy has his war in space PTSD. I have yet to PTSD. Anyway, mm-hmm. and then it was released in the United States, like I said, by Fox on October 19th, 1957. This has quite the cast. The one, mm-hmm. the most recognizable one for most people would be, as we talked about, Peter Cushing, who will always be Grandma Tarkin to me, no matter how many other movies yeah. I see him in. And if you look at the Blu-ray from this from Shout Factory, and Shout, please stop, don't stop making physical media. Please, please don't. Please, You, Arrow, Criterion, keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, keep doing what you're doing. Please. Please. And so there's a, there's a little documentary on Mr. Cushing on there that was clearly ripped from a VHS, but it's on there. And <laughs> they, you know, they're going through all of his other roles and everything, and I'm like, you're always going to be Tarkin to me. I swear, the yeah. man... The, the man played Van Hel- you know, played Baron Frankenstein, mm-hmm. and it was Van Helsing in the Dracula movies, but I'm starting to wonder if he actually is Dracula because I don't think he aged. No. From, like, yep. the 50s <laughs> to the 70s in Star Wars. I, he, he looks exactly the same. I don't know how he did that, but, like, he's with Sherlock Holmes. He's not a, He was a staple. He yeah. was in 22 Hammer films. Mm-hmm. 22. This yes. was, depending on who you talk to, this other is first or his second. Yeah. Because... I think, for what I understand, they filmed Abominable Snowman first, but Curse of Frankenstein released first. They did, yes. So it's so, which is why this film does not get the love. I think this why the movie doesn't get the. It's kind of a slept-on Hammer film because mm-hmm. everyone talks about because when Curse of Frankenstein came out, as we you and I have discussed before, that was a juggernaut. That was a phenomenon. Phenomenon. It made like seven million dollars. Yeah, I don't know what this. Bo- Beast what- from Twenty Thousand Fathoms made three. Yeah, and that I- was a big hit. Yeah, I don't know what the box office or the budget was for this movie. I looked for it. I couldn't find it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but all I can tell you is that it was considered, depending on who you talk to, either a modest success because it was in the shadow of Curse of Frankenstein, yeah. or a you know, something of a flop. Because again, in the shadow. I'm willing to bet modest success because Hammer built up some serious steam with Chris of Frankenstein. Like that made them who they are. You mm. know why we're talking about Hammer right now? Because, because of Chris of Frankenstein. Yeah, well, and Hammer has an interesting history. I did look at that, but I want to go over to the right. cast here really okay, quick first. Ahead, so, so obviously Peter Cushing. Mm-hmm. 
Legend. Uh, legend, yeah. And then we had Forrest Tucker, as you mentioned, as the the ironically named Tom Friend that is borderline on the nose. If you saw the movie, you know what we're talking about. Yeah, it is borderline on the nose. And then we also had Maureen Connell as Helen, mm -hmm. John's wife. Hilariously, <laughs> Helen is the name of Peter Cushing's real-life wife. wife. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and... There's a King Kong connection. Yes, there is. Helen Con uh, Helen Connell was married to John Goolerman, who directed the uh, the 76 remake of Kong and its unfortunate sequel. You are still only liked by John LeMay and one <laughs> other person. I'm sorry, King Kong lives. That other person is not me. The other person is John's friend. Of course it is. He had a time in a basement until he watched it enough that he liked it. <laughs> oh, throwing some shade at John. We uh, we like John around here. I bought his books. Yeah. I buy his books. Yeah. I support him. I weirdly enough, weirdly enough, this Hammer film is not in his Kong on Maid uh, you know, book. I'm a little surprised. The other abominable snowman is... Which one? The one from Japan. Oh. Half human. Oh, half human. Okay. Except they called not. it Abominable Snowman because that was the okay. Japanese title. But this one isn't? And this one isn't. I guess he hasn't seen it. I don't know, oh. but it's not It's not in there. He's and got homework. Oh. And then, you know, just to round out the cast a little bit, we have Richard Wattis as Peter Fox, the, the token snooty British man. Foxy. Foxy, who, Foxy. who is xenophobic until the Americans say that they don't like Tibet either, and then he loves Tibet. He refuses to agree with the Yanks. With the Yanks. Again, reminds me of my former boss. <laughs> yeah, and then I was like, "Yeah, a Yeti movie with a snooty with snooty British people." I'm getting PTSD episodes anyway. And then we also had Robert Brown as Ed Shelley, and Arnold Marley as the Llama, and then Wolf Morris as Kusang. Arnold Marley. Oh, why did they put Arnold Marley in here twice? Wikipedia, you are stupid. Edit this now. <laughs> you know, and then we had he's important apparently. You don't want, you don't want yeah, to and then we had four people as the quote unquote Yeti. We had yep. John Ray, Joe Powell, Jack Easton, and Fred Johnson. So that rounds everything out. Now, for those of you who don't know a thing about Hammer, which is interesting because there is a lot of scholarship actually out there on oh, Hammer. Yeah. It's rivaling Universal honestly, with their horror cycle. Yep. But Hammer is a British studio. It was started in 1934 in London by William Hines and James Carreras. Mm -hmm. Carreras. The, the funny story that they mentioned about James Carreras in the commentary was that he was the, <laughs> he was the kind of guy if someone came to him with poster art that had a, a monster with yeah. a pretty lady in its, in its jaws, he's like, I like it, make a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, sometimes movies started with just a poster. <laughs> yeah. Just a poster. So it was known for its gothic horror and fantasy films from the 50s to the 70s. That was its heyday. Yep. Started, like I said, 1934, but that was its heyday when it was doing the horror cycle. And they used classic horror characters. We were talking about this actually just before going on the air. It's interesting that Hammer is coming forward with characters like Baron Victor Frankenstein. Yep. You know, Frankenstein, you know, which was yeah. Peter Cushing again. And Count Dracula, Christopher Lee. That's yes. where Christopher Lee made it, it was made, it made his splash. Another legend. Yeah. And the mummy, he was also the mummy. He was the, he was the actual mummy. Yeah, he was the actual mummy. 
And it, they were able to reintroduce these classic horror characters that Universal had been doing, but this time it was in color for the very mm-hmm. first time for most of them. And it's interesting that Universal was wrapping up their horror cycle. I think it, they overlapped a little bit because in the late 60s, they, were, they did a couple of Creature from the Black Lagoon sequels, mm-hmm. but that was about it. Yeah. The la- you were never saying like the last truly great horror film that Universal made was the original Creature Even from the Black, Black Lagoon, Lagoon yeah. which if anyone wants to sponsor that, give me an excuse. <laughs> don't, don't tempt me. You know I'll do it. Yeah, I know you, you will. But you know I'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. But so they're wrapping up and then Hammer comes in and basically does the same thing, but with much more British and modern <laughs> sensibilities. Oh, yeah. And it points, honestly, just you and the universal horror films did this as well as well, but they did it even more. And that was pushing the envelope. Exactly. Yeah, they really did. They really did. So I meant, cause I mentioned, you know, that this had an A certificate. I didn't explain what that is. The British for a long time had their own rating system. Mm-hmm. You know, this is even, they even had one before the MPAA. Now the MPA, because that was in the 60s for the United States, but they had their rating system. It's got an A. That was called, quote-unquote, adult. It's yeah. Despite how it sounds, it's basically an equivalent to a PG-13. Right. Because they said, like, you know, anyone under the age of 12 needs to be accompanied by an adult. Right. You know, and, and the then actual- they had, like, uh, like, I forget what it is, but it's, like, you know, all audiences, like, their equivalent of G. And then yeah. they had, quote-unquote, X, X. Ooh, which was, it, was again, ad- despite that, how it sounds, that's that more ad- like an R rating. That was the adult, like the actual, like, quote unquote, like adult. Yeah, like most, of, like most of the Hammer horror films, like Dracula and Frankenstein, those all got X, X rated. Certificate, X certificate. It only comes with yeah. bloody. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, it's basically violent. an R rating. Bloody, it's R rated, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting they it's were doing all that here. at this time, but they also produced science fiction films, film noir, thrillers, mm-hmm. comedies, even. And apparently some Sherlock Holmes movies because they had Peter Cushing in those. Of course they did, yeah. Yeah. So Out like this man has done so much stuff. Like he was Van Helsing in the in the Dracula, Dracula films. Yeah. He was Baron Frankenstein for sixteen years yeah. in six Frankenstein movies. Yep. And then he was Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm. And then they show clips on this documentary of some of the other movies he did. I'm like, you know what? Some of these I kind of want to see. They look crazy. And then. They were able to get inter- the reason they were able to balloon when they did is because they got international distribution thanks to some Hollywood studios. Originally, it was and this was kind of at the tail end of when they were having this. Why they had Tucker in this yeah. because they needed to have an American star for the American studio to distribute them. A la Monster Zero. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. yeah, yeah. After this, they stopped doing that because they were big enough. That, yeah. you know, they made such a splash with Curse of Frankenstein. Like, yeah, we don't. That's fine. We, we, we'll we, just... we, we, we can make movies on our own terms. Yeah. With our own people. Yeah. We don't need, we don't need help. Yeah. And, but then, like I said, the their heyday was the 50s. It was the, you know, like the 50s to the 70s. There's a little quotation here from Wikipedia. Quote, during the late 60s and 1970s, the saturation of the horror film market by competition, by competitors and the loss of American funding forced changes to the previously lucrative Hammer formula with varying degrees of success. The company eventually ceased production in the mid-1980s. In 2000, the studio was bought by a consortium including advertising executive and art collector Charles Sachi, I hope I said that right, and publishing millionaires (laughs) Neil Mendoza and William Siegert. The company announced plans to begin making new films again, but none were produced. That's what they said right there. But they have actually made a few more since then. And then in May 2007, it was sold to a 
Dutch media tycoon named John DeMole. And he said he was going to spend $50 million or 25 million pounds. Pounds. British. On new films. So the first consortium didn't make any. This guy did. And he also acquired their library of 295 movies. Wow. At this point. And 295. Yep. 295. And their new CEO at the time, Simon Oakes, he said, Hammer is a great British brand. We intend to take it back into production and develop its global potential. The brand is still alive, but no one has invested in it for a long time. End quote. Mm. And since then, they've made a handful of movies. Just a handful. So they had, I don't, most of these titles, I've only heard of one of these. So you'll have to tell me if you've heard of any of them. But they had Beyond the Rave. No. 2008. Let Me In. That's the one I know. That's a good one. From 2010. That's good. Yep. The That's uh, directed by Matt Reeves, who did The Batman. Mm-hmm. And uh, two of the Apes movies. Mm-hmm. Most recent ones. Mm-hmm. The Resident from 2011. Not familiar. The Woman in Black, That's 2012. Uh, Harry Potter. Danny mm-hmm. Radcliffe. In The Woman in Black? Yep. Okay. And, uh, the Quiet Ones, 2014. And The Lodge, 2019. Nope. One of those. Yeah. Like I said, the only one oh, I know is Let Me In. have a new movie coming out. They do. Uh-huh. It stars, it's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Oh. I'm sorry. I think it's just called Dr. Jekyll. Oh. Because it stars Eddie Izzard. Oh. He turns from a man into a woman. Oh, I've seen that done before. Uh Uh-huh. I've seen that done before. Hammer did that themselves. Uh, Back in 1973, I think, they made a movie called Dr. Jekyll, Sister Hyde. (laughs) It's a legit movie. Look it up. I've seen it. It's not great. But the resemblance between the male and the female actor is uncanny. It's weird. So oh, I, I I know all about uncanny resemblance with someone you don't like. Who are we talking My about? My pseudo-sister. Oh, yeah, her? Mm. Yeah. yeah, I see the face. I see the resemblance. It's there. Anyway. But- Although I'm going to tell you right now, you hit on her, I will hit you, literally. I'm a ghost. I'm a ghost. You can't kill me. Ooh. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so... I think that's a good rundown just to give everybody kind of a nice bit of background here. Let's get into the movie itself. Mm-hmm. Before we do that, can I say one thing? What's that? Hello, kaiju lovers, and welcome to the Monster Island Film Vault. <laughs> You've been waiting on that for a while, haven't you? I've been sitting on that. I know, I saw for, it. For it, months. <laughs> for months. And it finally hatched. And I finally let it out. Uh, <laughs> instant relief. Ask your doctor. <laughs> <laughs> ask your doctor if Monster Island Film Vault is good for uh, you. Uh, ask your Probably doctor about MIFVS. <laughs> it's good for diabetes. It's good it's for the diabetes. diabetes. And, <laughs> but Hammer Films actually... They are good for the diabetes. Good for the diabetes. <laughs> they, but the, what's good about them is that they're they actually they're, the big hit, of course, was Curse of Frankenstein, mm-hmm. the big juggernaut. I was watching a documentary about it, and they said it made like seven times its budget back. It was a big hit. The, the word blockbuster wasn't invented yet, but it could be applied if it could be applied to another movie. It could be Curse of Frankenstein. The movie was a juggernaut. It was a huge hit, and before that. They dabbled in TV and radio. Quatermass. Quatermass. Yeah, because the, the director who worked on this was it Val Guest. Val Guest, yeah. Val he Guest. He, the, wor- uh, he worked on the Quatermass experiment. The Quatermass experiment, and he did a TV version of this script that they used here mm-hmm. by the same by the same writer Neil Nigel Neil Nigel Neil Nigel Neil, and uh, it was done by the BBC in 1955. 
1955, January 1955, mm-hmm. which was right after there was a B-movie Yeti movie. Mm-hmm. B-movie Yeti movie. That's fun to say. Huh. B-movie Yeti movie. B-movie Yeti. That's fun well, to say. Well, I mean, this was actually this was actually released on Double Bill mm-hmm. as the A picture with a B-movie called Untamed Youth, which I'm pretty sure was on MST3K. Yeah, it was on MST. I think it's an Ed Wood movie. <laughs> that makes sense. I think it is. Yeah. Yeah, that's in Britain. It was released on Double Bill with something else, but keep talking. I'm going to look that up. By the way, how dare you put an Ed Wood movie with this classic? Oh, oh, in in the United States, it was on Double Bill with The Crawling Eye, (laughs) which was also an MST3K Which is a British film whose original title is The Trawling Bird Terror. Which sounds a heck of a lot more dignified. <laughs> it's a, it's not great. But it was the, it was the first movie to be on MST three K. It was yeah, they're the well on Comedy Central. On Comedy Central, but like I was saying, is uh, Hammer. They're before Curse of Frankenstein. They got a, they built up some steam, some momentum, with a, mil, a movie called The Quatermass Experiment. Mm-hmm. And to know you that they meant business, the the experiment was spelled with an X. Experiment. How you say yeah, it? experiment. <laughs> But Which was well before the 90s, before poor literacy was cool. It was 1954 that came out, I believe. And then the, the next movies they made, they made a sequel called Quatermass 2. Mm-hmm. AK, well, the, the, the American title for Quatermass Experiment was The Creeping Unknown. Mm-hmm. And then they released the sequel, Quatermass 2, with this title, Enemy from Space. Mm-hmm. Then they released a movie called X the Unknown, which they wanted it to be a Quatermass movie, but Nigel O'Neill said no, something to that effect. Mm-hmm. They, they did made, make a third one in the 60s. In the 60s, yeah, but that was after, you know, they built yeah. a lot of steam. And then in, like, um, what, there was another one after that, after X the Unknown. I think that might have been it. But then they released Curse of Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. And that just blew the bloody doors mm-hmm. off. Yep. The bloody doors off. You're, blew getting the, very, you're getting very British there. They blew the bloody doors off. They blew the bloody doors off. Blew the doors off. <laughs> oh, eat it, WHG3. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I got uh, that quote from Michael Caine. Just so uh, Michael Caine. Blow the bloody yep. doors off. Uh, blow the bloody doors off. Mm-hmm. I'm going to meme that. Anyway. <laughs> blow the bloody doors off. All right. And, well, and Hammer was known up until Curse of Frankenstein, largely for making what they call quota quickies. Mm-hmm. You know, movies yeah. that you can make really fast because there was... The, the British Parliament passed laws that limited how how many how many foreign films basically could be let in. So they were... They would let into, the, into Britain. So they were trying to get British film studios to crank out a lot more movies. And so, you know... They had what they you know they had the the quota clause are basically what it was and they were Hammer was known for making quota quickie so they make really fast low budget B movies noir thriller yeah to you know to fill that quota so they yeah. could get them out there mm-hmm. and then you know they started actually you know, making better movies you know than <laughs> than just the you know the quick stuff mm-hmm. and Curse of Frankenstein was the one that really did it a lot of people would say that Abominable Snowman is actually pretty lavish by Hammer standards. Because you know, oh, they filmed, they filmed on oh, location. It it's got some it really is. nice sets, mm-hmm. and you know uh, all the stuff. Which we'll, you know, we'll get into that a little a bit more. Effective score. It's got a great yeah, cast. Yeah. Well, it's and well this written. the guy who scored this. This was the only time he did a Hammer movie. It's a shame. It's a great score. Yeah, I'm gonna look that up here. You keep talking. But I said, but that, but Quaymas Experiment, the movie, was actually a TV serial first. Yeah, Humphrey Surly. I hope I said, or Searle. I hope I said that right. The composer? Yeah, that was the composer. It was Johns Hollingsworth. No, quite. This was Humphrey Surly. It says it's his only score for Hammer. That sounds like a kid's character. 
Here comes Humphrey Surly. <laughs> He's surly again. He's surly again. I could be saying it wrong. It says oh, he was influenced cool. by another film with the theme of exploration. It was called Scott of the Antarctic from 1948. Oh, that classic. Which was composed by Ralph Vaughn Williams. Whoa. Rafe Vaughn Williams. He's one of the great composers. Really? The movie Scott? That movie? Yeah, that one. Dude, Rafe Vaughn Williams is an amazing composer. I'm sure I will send you his stuff. His stuff is gorgeous. Oh. Beautiful. Oh. I'm not kidding. This is not me being ironic. His music is gorgeous. Anyway, <laughs> but the, but so yeah, the Hammer films released Quatermass Experiment as a TV serial in mm-hmm. 1953, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I should mention that the, the TV version of this script that was originally done, lost. Yep. Because the BBC was horrible at preservation and which is like if it's live TV it doesn't matter it, it goes out once and that's and then we're done the same fate as Doctor Who yeah, that's why yeah a so, lot of the first Doctor's episodes are gone. the first two Doctor's episodes are missing are gone for they've yeah. been finding some they've been finding is, some which is cool the first two gone to t- appropriately enough gone to time because they didn't they, syndication wasn't a thing they just they did put it out once and that was it so they just they didn't have the money so mm-hmm. they just kept on recording over it was live TV. It's done. I just used the same reels from the last one. Just record over it. So there's there's probably some stupid TV show that's that's been taped over the first ever Doctor Who episode. No, bad? they have the first. Oh, they do. They have the first. It's the first two Doctors have a lot of gaps in okay. their in their episodes, but gotcha. the very first episodes they do have. Wait, so I've they, seen them. Like I said, for but then they started getting big and they started you know making some money. And like I said, they uh, Curse of Frankenstein was the big hit. But this one, this movie, also has a lot of great production values behind it. Yeah, we were talking about like the sets look real. The sets look really nice. There were some. There's still some who say this is the thing that's really confusing. There are some say like the the Tibetan sets mm-hmm. for the village right. and things like that. They're saying that those were used later for the Fu Manchu movies. I saw several sources that said that, but. Mr. Newsom, who did the cop with one of the commentaries on the shout D on the shout Blu-ray said, yeah, that didn't happen. Mm. So like, okay. Although, I don't know if they have the gall to put Christopher Lee in Asian face. I wouldn't put it past him yellow face, did. yellow face. I wouldn't put it past him that they, that they did. Uh, I mean, I mean, I mean, uh, don't, don't, don't watch the Fu Manchu. Don't watch the Fu Manchu movies. Uh, well, Christopher Lee. I mean, let's be honest. Christopher Lee is a legend. He's a legend. He's in yellow face with his eyes pulled back. Let's be honest. Not all of the Asian people in this are actually played by Asians. The llama is not Asian. The llama is a German. (laughs) (laughs) He's a German man. And then who was it? Kusang? Kusang. Kusang, who's actually played by a Ukrainian Jew. Jew. Yes. (laughs) These men bend it. Yes. These men bend it. (laughs) <laughs> that's just that's just wacky to me. But funny enough, all the extras are Asian. They are. They found them at Chinese restaurants. They did. And yep. uh, although, like the the parts with the monks and their chanting, that was actually done by a real monastery. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, keep part. talking. I'm going to go look that up. But I, the reason why I you asked why I picked this movie because, like I said, Curse of Frankenstein. Let's let's go over it a couple times. Curse of Frankenstein. Evil of Frankenstein. Yes, right here. This is a direct quote. Assistance was provided by members of a Buddhist temple in Guildford, Guildford to choreograph the monks chanting. Oh, that entry choreography. Yeah, that looks like Mardi Gras. Exactly. <laughs> I'm a, I, I, yes, I know. I'm they, a horrible, they, horrible, they stomp, dirty, dirty American. They stomp their feet and pull, pull sticks in the air. Oh, <laughs> the, the intricacy of the choreography. 
My music, yeah, but still, it's authentic. My true. Okay, sure. Yeah, you know, it's still least, it's authentic. At least they did that. Everybody now, every, you know, all the extras are Chinese restaurant waiters, but that, which is true. <laughs> that is true. That's not us being jerks. That is legit true. That's I mean, where you, let's be honest, it's Britain in the 1950s. Where are you going to find a bunch of Asians? <laughs> Probably Chinese restaurants. The, the, the war wasn't that long ago. Yeah, I mean, well, that was Japan. But <laughs> can you imagine, like... I mean, the country wasn't, wasn't exactly, you know... Right. But can you imagine, like, ev- like everybody gets sent out to, like, every Chinese restaurant yeah. in London, and they're like, hey, thanks, Ping, for bringing me my duck. Would you like to be in a movie? You you look less white. Want to be in a movie? Crazy <laughs> <laughs> what it is. It's like the Tibetan, it's like it's Chinese, like how, Japanese. Yeah, this well, this is Chinese. Well, same. they're Tibetan, but uh, this it's kind of like it's kind of like how Toho would just find any white people yep. they could find and throw them into a movie. They can't. Gosh, they can't say English as well as the Japanese actors for whom it's a second language. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I I, I wanted. I've been dying to talk about this movie because like we all love the Hammer films as we should, you know, one million, one million, one million years BC, Chris of Frankenstein, the Mummy, blah blah blah. But like I said, this one gets like no. T- I'm, thank goodness for Shout, mm-hmm. Shout Factory. They released this one. Thank, thank goodness for them for releasing this under one. their imprint, Scream Factory. Scream Factory. That's right. And I think this is just like. Such an underappreciated little gem. Well, the, there was a film historian who talked about this, and he feels like this movie came out at a weird point. He said, he jokingly said, like, ironically, it fell into a crevasse. <laughs> <laughs> Metaphorically speaking. An avalanche of obscurity. But, yeah, because it came out after The Curse of Frankenstein. Right. And so before Dracula. So it's Snow Wonder. No, 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 you did it already. You did it already. No, no. I'll take no. that too. Yeah, yeah. That anyway, too. so it, so, right, and so before, and before drag, yeah, so two. it's, yeah, the sandwich between those two, and it's more like the kind of movies that Hammer used to do, mm-hmm. but it does have a little bit of that the, new Hammer flair to it. So it's right. kind of in this weird middle ground. So all of the all of that it just came out at the wrong time exactly. is really what it is. I have a feeling if it had been released before Curse of Frankenstein, it probably would have gotten more attention. I mean, I I, I can see that. Although with this movie, because well, because first of all, when you're sandwiched between Curse of Frankenstein and Horror of Dracula, you don't have a chance. You don't. You know what I'm saying? But at the same time, I'll go over a couple things in this movie. Like I said, there was no giant monster. There was no blood. There was no tokusatsu. No, there's blood. A little. In the footprints. In the footprints. But there's no destruction. There's no... Yeah, and I know it is because I because I made the, the obvious joke. If it bleeds, we, we can, can kill it. it. <laughs> <laughs> Which ended up being truer than I thought. That, see, this was actually one of the most... Oh, they did. Oh, this is this was actually one of the more challenging preparations I've ever done for a podcast. Just oh, really? so you know. Because you specifically said... And I'm like, hey, the man is giving me way too much money. So I will... I will let him run the show because that's that, that's what you get for that tier. And that's why Jimmy's not here. And so you said that you wanted to watch it for the first time with me. I'm like, yep. okay, fine. But I'm like, but there are commentaries mm-hmm. and I must research. 
because that is what the kaiju lovers expect from the show. Mm-hmm. So I would just, I would turn the movie on and I would listen to the commentary and do my best to not pay attention to the screen. I would just listen and take notes. Good. Well, that was challenging. Because it's a good movie and it looks good too. Mm-hmm. It's a well shot movie. And I, I'm glad that this movie did not come out after Horror of Dracula or Curse of Frankenstein because knowing how films are, knowing how they're made, they follow patterns, right? Well, this movie, the, the, these two movies filled with blood and guts and gore, that made a lot of money. Let's do that with this. Had this movie come out after Horror of Dracula's Frankenstein, this movie would be a lot bloodier. It would be in color, probably. It would be, there would be more killings. There would be, you'd see the monster. Well, and it would rob this movie of the magic that it has. Yeah, well, and the interesting thing about this movie is that there are several people who die, but not at the hands of the Yeti. And that's the thing. They uh, they all die by accident. One is killed when he falls. He's, yeah, he has a bump foot and he slips, and he slips off a cliff. The other one has a freaking heart attack. Because he just got scared to death. But that one is really ironic because Mr. Friend put... Tom. Yeah, Tom <laughs> put dummy bullets into the guy's gun because like because they found a Yeti before mm-hmm. and they shot it and killed it. And he's like, I need a live one. Yep. To take back to civilization. So he's like, I put dummy bullets in there so he wouldn't kill it. Mm-hmm. And so when the line is- And then they're like, well, then I guess you killed him because he died of fright. As basically. Cushing says, uh, uh, Tom Friend, they killed him. And Peter Cushing, no, friend, you did. You did. See, <laughs> because this movie has a lot of- Yeah, because Tom, Tom Friend is a, <laughs> a semi-belligerent American. But I'm talking about the way this movie yeah. is. Because I'm, I'm glad this movie came out in between. Because it's shot in black and white. It looks great. And the film has a great sense of mysticism to it. Especially you know? with the llama. Absolutely. Like he, said, he gets weird at points. Like it's like, are you telepathic? Because he predict he says, like, your wife is coming. Mm-hmm. And then she walks through the door. Like ten th- seconds later. We'll be here tonight in a few hours. Gong. <laughs> but what because if had this movie come out after that. It would not be what it is. And I love... I said, I'm a monster guy. I love Dracula, horror, monster movies, tokusatsu, blah, blah, blah. Do we see a monster in this movie? Yes and no. Mostly mostly no. It's weird. Mostly no. Well, it's really interesting to compare this to... This is one of four abominable snowman movies that were made in pretty quick succession Uh in the mid-50s. And these were all brought up... Again, one of them I've already covered on the podcast. It's half human from nineteen fifty uh, from nineteen fifty five, if I remember correctly. But then in nineteen fifty four, you had Snow Creature, which was an American B movie, mm-hmm. which is what they wanted to call this. And they're like, "Oh, well, we they already that. took that Oops. title, <laughs> so we can't." And then in nineteen fifty six, so the year before this, it's after the TV version. But before this one, they had you had Man Beast, yep, which was another American B movie, and they were oh, that's a B movie. Yeah, they were from what I understand because I haven't seen either one of those. They were completely different. Oh, and their Man Beast is crap. It's not one of those VHSs that you see the slime people and the giant Gila monster on. (laughs) Oh God, oh boy. (laughs) Yeah, but but, yeah. Now I would argue, uh, even though the guy doing the commentary, I'm thinking he's basing this on the 
horribly re-edited American version, but he didn't think the he didn't think Half yeah. Human was that good. He said, like, you know, the, it, this is the only good isn't. this is the only good one out of that set. And Joe Dante has a little thing where he does something called Trailers from Hell. Yep. And he shows the trailer for this and he says that this is the only good movie about the abominable snowman. And I'm like, you need to watch the Japanese version of Half Human. I know it's banned, but I have ways. Anyway. Because <laughs> you have it. And I've not seen it. Now you tell me this now. <laughs> Should have told me that months ago, but <laughs> but what we say about this movie not having a monster is what's cool about it is that we in the commentary they discussed that Val Guest, the director, and Nigel Neal had a bit of a butting heads. Nigel Neal, the writer of the film, wanted to show the Yeti because he's like, as he said, the movie doesn't the Yeti doesn't kind of quote unquote show up until the fifty-two minute mark. He wrote it down mm-hmm. fifty-two minutes. But the thing is, like, he's like, but it's just a hand. It's just a hand. He says, reaching into a tent, which I'm going to tell you, as someone who camped a lot as a kid <laughs> and terrifying. in high school, it's terrifying. You want to freak somebody out, and, you like, like claw at their tent when they can't see anything and f- freak them the heck out. Because Nigel Neal wanted, he's like, oh, the audience has been watching this film for, oh, for like over, almost an hour. He's like, we have to show the monster. We have to show the monster. Give them what they want. But Val guessed. And I will sigh, I will die on this hill. He made the right call. Don't show the monster. Ever. This movie implies the monster throughout. It's almost as it implies what it looks not what it looks like, because we see it eventually. But this movie implies the whole time. It's all atmosphere, it's all implication, it's all reactions to it, the, the, the way they react to the monster. Because mm-hmm. here's where I think the way this movie's paced. It starts off in the monastery, the monk monastery. Then we follow them up the mountain. We we follow them. We follow them, rock we, climbing, Joel. Rock, rock, we follow them uh, getting ready. We follow them uh, going up the mountain. We follow, follow them with a couple setups in there about avalanches. And then we go up to the first cabin they find. And like nothing really horror related happens until the fifty two minute mark, but you are engaged the whole way, and I don't know how. <laughs> you know, normally like if you tell me a, a ninety minute movie, nothing happens for the first fifty two minutes, I'd be bored as hell, just bored as hell. But for this movie, it works because from the fifty two minute point on, for me, this movie takes off. Mm-hmm. From that point on, the movie just takes. Off. I mean, they wouldn't even let us see a Yeti corpse Mm-mm. after the you know, after the if it bleeds we could kill it moment, yeah. you know, because they sh- was one of them shoots it, it walks away and we see bloody footprints. It's all in black and white, I might add, uh-huh. and then we see a massive hand just sticking up from behind a rock, and then they all go over there, and all we see is a forearm and a hand. And they're which look huge, and then they're like, "Oh my gosh, look at this thing!" And then they talk about Spoilers. it. Spoilers, jeez, we spoil everything here. Oh, sorry, <laughs> but no, because that part is so great because you, you hear. Uh, are we bouncing? Are we bouncing around too much on this movie? No, I feel like, I feel like we're no. all over the place. This is how but, it works. But because the, the character McNee, one of the characters McNee, they they deduce that he may have a psychic connection. To the creature. He's Which affected. Is weird. He's a, but he's affected. My Yeti sense is tingling. He's affected by them somehow. <laughs> he is because whenever they're around, he goes well, trance like. Well, see, that's something that should be explained here. This actually has a a pretty unique interpretation of 
the snowman, the Yeti. The most unique. Which the which best. is really interesting because usually, the and they even bring it up in this, is like it's usually thought to be a missing link, so it's going to be... Yeah. You know, kind of ape-like or something like that, half-human. It, and right. uh, actually, I think all the other abominable snowman movies that you had here, they looked more ape-like. Even in yeah. half-human, it trended toward looking ape-like. Now it had some human features in it as well, and it was actually incredibly well done, I would argue. Mm-hmm. But here, they said, like, no, this isn't a missing link. Going off of evolutionary theory, they said, no, this is parallel development. Like, yeah. well, what do you mean? Peter Cushing, and he says, well, there was one species that was here in Tibet, and they had two branches that went off. One became the great apes, and one became eventually became humans. But what if there was a third branch? Mm -hmm. What if there was a third branch that went off and became a a different species? Because even John, Peter Cushing, says like, because someone asked him, what did it look like? And he said, it didn't look human. It didn't look like an ape. And the the whole idea... It was its own creature. Yeah. The whole idea that they get into, which is the big theme of the movie, the llama makes note of this with with its cryptic warning, as we talked about. Because he said, like, you know, a man... Was it a king? When he is old, must put thought into his successor. You know, that sort of stuff. And because the idea here is that... It asks the question, who's really the savages? Exactly. You know, to these yetis, we're the savages. Yep. We're the ones who are coming to kill them, to capture them. And that's a solid argument because technically they don't kill anybody. They scare people. They're scary. They're scary. Because they're unknown and we don't see them. Yeah. And they don't know who any of these people are or anything. And, you know, but they don't actually kill anybody, which is different. Even half, even in half human. The Yeti kills people in that. Now, he kills it in a rage because the humans killed his offspring. So he just goes ballistic. So it's an understandable reason. Right. It's a sympathetic it's not reason. It's the monster on the loose ripping yeah. people apart and destroying houses because that's what the people want to see. Yeah. They, there's reasoning for it. But here, the idea, do the, the really big idea that they present here as Peter Cushing outlines, is that maybe they're not some offshoot species that's just waiting to go extinct. Maybe they're trying to outlast us. They're waiting for us to go extinct. Yeah. It's, so it's this really... The H-bomb gets mentioned once. Mm-hmm. But when they bring this theme up, it's obliquely homaging the Cold War and the oh, Cold yeah. War tensions and the Cold War fear. Because, you know, this is... The mid fifties. It was fifty-seven. It was fifty-seven. The idea of of a of mutually assured destruction through nuclear war is still very potent. It's starting to become more potent, I should say. It hits its peak in the sixties and then again in the eighties. But it you know, it's starting to ramp up here. And this was a very common idea about you know people genuinely being afraid of wiping themselves out through nuclear war. So it's just interesting that this is getting brought up in a movie. About the abominable snowman, <laughs> it's. It, I was not entirely expecting that, but so yeah, it's just. This, to say, I agree with you. This was a, this was a surprisingly smart script. I was not yes, expecting that. I mean, I like I like half human. I like half human for different reasons. Mm-hmm. It's a that was a different kind of smart. Now I will admit it's a there different are, beast. I, I will admit I will admit there are points in half human that 
I would probably end up arguing that this is better than half human, mm -hmm. but I don't think half human is the you know it, it, half human is not man beast right. and snow creature. It's a different it is film. not. Yeah, it's a different film, different tone, different style, whatever. Mm -hmm. This film, like like I said, Nigel Neal wanted to show the monster. Val Guest said no, keep it a mystery. And thank goodness he freaking did that. Thank goodness because yeah. it, it, this movie would not have the power because, like he says. Like this, the, the when he's talking to Forrest Tucker, he goes, "There's a thing the Lama said. Like perhaps, perhaps it is not us that are the, them that are the the savages. It is we who are not Homo sapiens, but we are the destroyers. Man, like these creatures know we hunt and kill. These creatures know, they're and the and these creatures know their existence must be kept a secret, mm -hmm. and that's implied by the monk mm -hmm. that they're keeping these things a secret mm -hmm. because he knows, you know damn well." That if we found out those things were up there, we'd be up there too, looking for them. Like some of us would be, most of us I think would be um, preservationists. Like, look at these things. We found the missing link. The rest are just. Hey, hey, hey I mean, the, 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 snow, the snowman and his kid are on the island. They keep to themselves, though. They don't like being bothered. I, I know they like to hide. Yeah. I tried to get a photo, but they were like, Ugh. and I was like, Ugh. Yeah, like, snow. Yeah. yeah, like Snowboy, Snow Kid. Mm -hmm. Well, he's more like Snow Teen now because yeah. he's grown up a little. All bit. the reason not to talk to him. He's a teenager. Oh, oh. Ugh. Right. Yeah, teenage Yetis, man. Just, teenage Yetis. Oh, those uh, teenage Yeti kids. Uh, yeah. But so, what was I, what was I saying? Oh, you were talking about you know we would go find them. Yeah, we go find them because and these things are waiting for us to die out. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what a deep philosophical idea. Because when I show you the cover of this movie. The Blu-ray cover is just like there's a big snowman. Silhouette. It looks like a monster movie. It looks movie. like a monster movie. But again, it's what it's not that this movie gets its strength. Mm -hmm. It's not a thrill-a-minute, kill-a-minute monster movie. It's more of a thoughtful, contemplative, philosophical movie. Mm -hmm. Well, because like I said, we talked about there were two guys who died. The most interesting one Maybe is when both. Tom Friend, Mr. Tucker, yeah. who just has this... There were some people. There were some comments from both the director and the writer who had differing opinions about how good of an actor he was because he was yeah. this blustery American, and he was a blustery American with everybody. And but he's they said he plays a pretty restrained character here compared to how he was in Quatermass because he I try to remember uh, Neil Neil didn't like him in Quatermass. Brian Donlevy was Quatermass. Yeah, because Brian Donlevy was like oh that's right it was not Brian Donlevy but I was just about to say. Neil hated Brian Dunlevy because he wanted he wanted Professor Quatermass to be a you know up 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 tight like a like a uh, before but Peter Cushing wasn't involved with Hammer at the time something like Peter Cushing, but of course we wanted American distribution we wanted the films to be out there so they cast an American actor in these movies they cast Brian Donlevy who according to Neil Nigel Neal was drunk yeah All which apparently time. is not entirely true yeah but, but that's what he said and yeah that's what he said so i think he just hated that an american was playing his british character yeah maybe yeah. but uh but anyway so he's name here americans <clears throat> named quatermass yeah so Hi, yeah Brian, so, uh, my name's like dave dave quatermass nice to meet you <laughs> i don't exist and the, and the part of dave quatermass will be played by sylvester stallone who's <laughs> actually italian but anyway <laughs> Yo, Suppose we are the quarterbacks. Thoughts with man success. Anyway, so they're in the Rockies. Yeah. yeah. No, oh, no, it's the Himalayas. No, it's a mountain range. That's anyway, anyway, so rhinestone? so so Mr. Friend. So yeah, so <laughs> Mr. Friend, Tom, after. 
kind of turning into Captain Ahab after a while on this thing. Because <laughs> I wrote that in my notes. Like, he has officially become Captain Ahab. Because he's yeah. like, we're not just going to find this thing. Uh, well, well, I should tell you, the reason I came here is because I'm going to find one of these things and take it home and basically get famous. Yep, much. <laughs> basically get famous. So that's why he has to get... He doesn't get... You would think... There would be a version of the script where the poetic justice is that he's the one guy the Yeti kills or something. No. He gets death by avalanche, which had, which had been foreshadowed earlier. Yep. And it's actually some of the... Even though they were like, yeah, American in the British movie, but he, he has some of the best acting in the film. He's great. Because he's when great. the avalanche he's is coming, because he's, he's freaking out, because we have the scene mm-hmm. where our two f- final characters... Before the scene, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, they're they're hearing things. So yeah. John Alex Peter Cushing thinks. thinks he hears a message on the radio, right? And is like, we have to go. They're they're warning us on the radio. It's like the radio doesn't work. And then Tom Friend thinks he hears their friend Ed who just died, right? You know, he thinks he's hearing him calling for help. He's like, I have to go help him. He's like, no, no, it's Tom, he, he, help yeah, me. which is haunting. Yep, is really haunting. And so he's like, oh, I have to go out there. And he's like shooting the gun off to try to get him to come over that way. And he's like, don't, don't shoot the gun. And that's what makes it, what makes it even sadder, Nathan, Mm -hmm. is that he's looking for his friend. And like, he he runs out there, like they just held two signals. He's like, Ed, Ed, I'm coming. He's like, and then one of the lines, Ed, I made it this time. I'm here to save you. I made it. It's like, oh God, he's just feeling regret. Mm-hmm. Just remorse. So and he starts firing. So he's not him. like just some horribly irredeemable character. Half human had characters who were yeah. like that. A couple of them. He, Tom Fred made a lot of mistakes. He was overambitious, and it came to bite him in the butt. So he's mm-hmm. firing the gun in the air, and this is the last ten minutes of this movie are my favorite. Just my like for like some fifteen minutes on when they finally when they capture what they think is a monkey. Which they were going to pass off as a Yeti. Yeah. Good luck with that, guys. Yeah, we found the. Oh Yeti. yeah, the chimp here. That's totally the snowman. Yeah, that made those footprints. Sure, it did. But but anyway, so the, from that like from that moment, the movie takes off. It gets so awesome. He's firing the gun in the air, and Tom and Peter Cushing, John is like, "Stop firing! It's an avalanche! Take cover!" And the look, yeah, on Forrest Tucker's face. Tom as the uh, as the avalanche is coming, it just says everything. It's like, well, this is how it ends. He do, he doesn't go. Oh no! Look out! Ah! He just stands there, and his face goes limp. Mm-hmm. The snow hits him. He dies. Mm-hmm. It's like God. That's powerful. Mm-hmm. And as the snow is falling, what it's, it's uh, it was slightly poetic, slightly poetic. As the snow is falling toward him, you hear the creatures howl mm-hmm. in the background. By the way. The scariest part of that movie to me is their howling. Mm-hmm. That is so... Because when they first get a monster, they shoot it, right? You're, bam! And Ed shoots one, and you hear... As a kid, I was like, what the hell was that? That's the creature's sound? And as they find the body, they, they find, you know, like you said, they find the hand, they follow the footprints, they find the hand, the body, and as they're looking at it, they hear the, you hear the creatures howl. From miles away. Mm-hmm. And Peter Cushing goes, they know. It's like, there's no, they don't tell you how they did it. It's like the force. They don't tell you how they know. They just imply that these things have a connection. We don't. They're developed in a way that we are not. Mm-hmm. So they know one of their own is dead. Mm-hmm. So eerie. It is. So creepy. It is. And then Peter Cushing, John, goes back into the cave 
and he meets them. And this is the closest we get to a full body shot of yep. the... Uh, there's two of them. Two. There's two. They're shown in silhouette. They look very tall. And we get to see one of them, but only their eyes and like their forehead a bit in the their nose. nose. Yeah. And you, it's the way the scene starts, the way it's presented, it's meant to be a horror scene. It's like, oh no, the monster's found and me. And the music says that too. And the oh. music says that too. Oh. And clearly Peter Cushing is acting. It's like, oh no, they found me. They're going to kill me. Mm -hmm. And then one of them starts walking forward kind of threateningly. Right. But then when his eyes come into the light, it's not malice. It's not rage. It's more just like, why are you here? It's a borderline human face. Yeah. It's a fake. Because the reason why, oh, God, this movie makes me, oh, I love this movie. The re, What happened after they shoot the Yeti, they kill it. And after they look at the body, it's like, careful, Tom. Uh, maybe 10 feet, maybe 11 feet high. They cut to a shot of Peter Cushing looking at the body. He's not revolted. He's not shocked. He's not blown away. He just goes, that face. Later on, when he's talking to McNee, before he died, when he's talking to McNee, he goes, McNee goes, did you see what it looked like? Peter Cushing, oh yes, it's 10 foot 5 inches, 650 pounds, and this 10 foot... It's a big boy. It's a big boy. He's a thick boy. But, and then the McNee goes, no, did you see what it looked like? And Peter Cushing goes, oh yes, the face. Uh, say it's a, not a creature. It's not a, it's not a beast. No man either. It's obviously... It's a creature of, of kindness and wisdom. And you're going, what is this thing? Then the final scene walks towards you. Its face comes to the light. You're expecting, it's a monster movie. You're expecting, you know, of course, you know, with the Nigel Neal's thoughts, you're expecting a monster, just a beast, just a snarl-toothed, evil creature thing. It walks into the light. It's a kind, wise old face. Mm -hmm. And then the implication later is that they took John back to the second expedition led by his wife who wanted to berate him for going on a stupid and dangerous mission. I just like saying that. She, she just, I just imagine she finds, she's like, oh, I'm so glad you're alive. Stop being stupid. But in, in, in her defense, <laughs> my, my wife, hey, I'm going to go, my vital wife would be like, hey, I'm going to go looking for the Yeti in the, in the mountains. What? <laughs> I'm sorry, what? Sit, sit down. You're not doing that, you crazy. <laughs> Which is out. exactly what she did. But we'll get yeah. to her. She's kind of interesting. Yeah. But you know, and this, so the implication is that they, even though he's practically dying of hypothermia, he looks yeah. like a frozen statue, literally, uh, when they yeah. find him. The implication is that they brought him back. It, I love the way this is set up because because whatever you see, whenever we see the monster, we see its hand under the tent. It's not because there's a great scene where. McNee is looking at the mod, and the McNee doesn't scream when he sees the hand. He just looks at it. Justin Quist just looks at it, because he's so in a trance. And the hand is not, there's no like, bum, bum, bum. There's no scary music. It's just this light, kind music of the creature's hand reaching under the tent. And uh, it picks up a gun and throws it. It's just feeling mm -hmm. stuff. The creature's just it's curious. curious. It's curious. Yeah. It's curious. It's all it is. And then, later on, when we see the monster, great build up to the end. Peter Cushing, they lost Tom Friend. He was killed in that awesome, right? The, the avalanche scene. It's awesome. He goes, friend. And he crawled. This long, protracted scene. No music. 
no tension building, no music, no nothing. He just crawls up the snow, crawls back into the cave, exhausted, tired. He sits down. You hear, <sniffs> you look up. Two 10-foot-tall monsters right there. The music builds, bum, bum, bum. Peter Cushing's terrified, and you see that kind face. And this real, again, this light, soft, beautiful music plays. Just that does not a not a da da da. It's a da 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 da. Then it dissolves to the cabin where the wife is, and you hear they're alerting her, like we got your guy, like we got your husband, he's here. Like they're alerting. He's her. almost frozen to death, like, but he's here. You might want to hurry up. <laughs> he needs some chicken soup, yeah. like now. We have your husband. What's left of him? You might want to come up and get him. So, so you hear. The monsters are calling them, like, we have him, come get him. And no, again, there's no music for like a solid minute of her. She gets out, looks out, looks around, crawls up, and then she starts walking away. Then Foxy's with them. She brought a whole crew of Foxy and the other men, <laughs> Foxy and the other uh, guides. That's what they call them. Which is funny because I was joking because the, the because of how, because the of the accent, some of the accent. Because there's one time where a guy gets caught. I, th I thought it was a bear trap, and they said, "Oh no 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 no! I made an improvement on a bear trap. It's uh, what is it? What is it? It catches but doesn't tear." Yeah. So I'm like, I was like, tear. that guy's just lost his foot. Yeah, but no, yeah. it just like grabs him. Right. And he was trying to say like, I, I use it. To, to catch bears and foxes, but it sounds like he says foxies. To, no, Ed plays the American. Yeah. He's, Ed here is an expert trapper. Ed, yeah. And it's, and foxies but, to grizzlies. Yeah, foxies to grizzlies. Like, wait, you catch snooty British men with this? <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 catch your, you catch Peter Cushing's assistant? Yeah. Assistant, why? Who was, uh, who was one of two characters added from the TV version. And actually, yeah. most of the same cast was in the TV version. I including Peter that. Cushing. There were, including Peter Cushing. Not there were, Tucker, though. There were, yeah. There were a few people who right. were, a few characters who were recast, right. but they added... The, they added the, the snobby British xenophobe and... <laughs> But I, I hate the customs around here and, and the food. Code and the and like, I'm the American. I hate it too. Well, you know but what? I, I like it now. Anyway, so they added that guy and they added the wife. Right. They did. Which is really interesting because but, but because about, Neil bucks a lot of trends right. in this movie, particularly with her, which we'll get into. But it's just so interesting that they bring him back. They, they never kill anybody and they technically no. save somebody. They do. They save and him. the cast is done in by their own by their own vices basically. Now it's not like they're get there's just horribly evil and getting their comeuppance. It's not like no, that. They're no. just they have foibles and they're done in by their foibles. Exactly. And almost as if again, getting way more esoteric. It's almost as if there's something protecting these things. The abominable snowman. Because the Yeti protect them, the monk is like when he sits there in a trance looking out the window, there's a shot of the monk looking out the window and he's in a complete trance. It's like, is he, like, communicating with them? Yeah, there's a lot of unexplained yeah. paranormal, but uh, preternatural, I should say. Yes. Preternatural stuff that happens. But I love that. Not paranormal, necessarily. But, but I love that. They don't explain it. They just, they imply. So anyway, she she's looking for the husband. here, And she runs outside. It's blizzard. It's a horrible blizzard. But she's looking. She starts crawling up the mountain. Foxy gets up and he starts looking for her. What was that? I was like, wait. Do I, I need say, to hit the the jet dump button there for a second? I can't say Foxy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, I told you. I told Foxy. you. You, uh, I'll yeah. allow one. <laughs> you know? Foxy, so Foxy, and yeah. so 
So, so here we go again. So <laughs> she's crawling them up. There's, again, no music. Just the sound of the wind, her crawling up. Cut to Foxy. He goes, Helen, Helen. No music. Just the wind. Cuts to Helen. She's crawling up a mountain. And she's like getting wind blown in her face. And she's cold. And she's just tired and blah, blah, blah. Then she, when she comes around. She looks. There's John. Hard bang of a music sting. Ba-bum! And she's like, John! John! And then it cuts to Foxy. Helen! And she's, he's crawling up the mountain. And she's got... She's holding her husband. Foxy comes in. They're all in the frame together. Camera whips pan to the right. Footsteps. Mm-hmm. Footprints. Footprints. Implying they brought him back. These creatures aren't the bad guys. No. They're not monsters. There aren't really... Other than maybe Tom Friend in the mildest sort of no. sense, because uh, like he has the like mildest he, definition. Of it's like he has like mild Captain yeah. Ahab syndrome here yeah. for a little bit, which it, which yeah. is again kind of yeah. funny because but you know the, the, the whale god him. just got yeah. released. You know the the wife finds him. Yeah, like you were about to say about yeah about her. Well, we'll get to that. But then the what's interesting is that the final scene of this movie is everybody talking to the llama, and the llama asks John, "He's like, did you find what you were looking for?" He said. And it's left at that. There is no Yeti. Yeah. And that's the that's the end of the movie. Yep. That's so, it. The, 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 we don't, the monster doesn't come out. We don't see the monster. There's not a, excuse me, epilogue or a prelude or an epilogue after it. Mm-hmm. There is no Yeti. Impl- implying the, the llama is going, that's right. You leave these creatures alone. Mm-hmm. They're waiting for their time. Mm-hmm. You're still here. Mm-hmm. When you die out, because they said, "Man of the savages, we kill. Men kill and destroy. They're waiting for us to finish each other off. They're waiting for us. That seems what he says. Yeah. Waiting for us to finish, finish each other off." It's really fascinating. The, you know, the, the it's a fairly common theme. Is like who's the you know, who's the real animal? Who's the real savage? You know, who's the real enemy here? And it's just really interesting to. I've I've never seen it presented quite like this so i really appreciate it especially sandwiched between horror of dracula and the curse of frankenstein just two like you what was that word you said about those movies about their blood and guts what was that word mm-hmm. sensational what was the word sensationalistic yeah. yeah sensationalistic or exploitative exploitative but this film has none of that this film is all like thought Mm-hmm. It's like, it, it, of course, it's you know, plot, just plot. Yeah. Apparently, the TV up. version was a lot more verbose, and they had they. I think it was either I can't remember if it was Neil or Guess that he edited the script down. Yeah. And Guess said <laughs> that he did try to make sure that the camera was always kind of moving and yeah, you know, uh, to keep pacing. Yeah. You know, but I'm like, really, this was even talkier. Oh, a lot. Of <laughs> Which would make sense on a t- uh, for television, like especially a, live TV, because like you need people to just yeah. to just. Talk so everyone can run to different sets. Which it was funny because they these two scenes are going on. People are talking, talking, talking. The reason why they're, they're talking so much is so people can run around. Yeah, and build and get change costumes, get into the next scene. Yeah, it's not a, not unlike right. a stage play. Right, uh, not no, not. But uh, but like you said, the way it ends, mm. like I was and, and the, Ralston, the the uh, not John, John, he goes, I was wrong. He understands mm-hmm. these creatures need to be left alone, and they they both like do like a. Mm-hmm. God, get it? Mm-hmm. You were wrong. There is no Yeti. Mm-hmm. You got it. Mm-hmm. Good. Got it. Yeah. But between Curse of Frankenstein, which is a bloody, disgusting movie, so is Horror of Dracula. It's got the blood, the guts, and the killing. This film is none of that. Mm-hmm. None. It's a it's a more philosophical horror. Barely, it's a horror movie. Mm. It's again closer to 
what they were doing before this. Yeah, but you even, know, like Quatermass, even more so than Quatermass, because Quatermass had you know body count. The, have you seen Quatermass Experiment? No. Okay, okay, I'll show it to you too. But there's like there's murder in that one. There's body. There's body horror. There's body horror in that. There's body horror in Quatermass Two. There's body horror. A lot of body horror in uh, X the Unknown. There's a ton of blood and curse Frankenstein, but not here. This is the outlier. Mm-hmm. This is like of like. Hammer released a bunch of movies that were different as well, mm-hmm. but this one is the most different, I think. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it's really interesting. But you know, since we're talking about Helen, we should mention that she's very atypical for you know for women in these kinds of movies. First off, they even the fact that she's even in the movie, yeah, she starts little, off atypical. Little, yeah, is a little astonishing. Basically, you know, she's not staying at home and crying or anything like. No, she's like, oh. He's not back. Oh, great. I told him not to do this. We need to go find him. Yeah. Because Kusain came back and he's panicking because they believe, the locals believe that the Yeti is a deity, which again, not unlike half human, because that's toyed with as well in there. Mm-hmm. But they think if you see it, because he freaks out, it's like, I saw it. I'm basically, I'm going to die. I saw the God. Yeah. So he comes back. I see what men must not see. Yeah. And so he comes back and she's like, he came back. Where's my husband? He's not with him. We're going to go find him. So she gets very proactive. Now she just gets a subplot. She doesn't go mm-hmm. on the initial expedition, but she starts her own to go find her husband. Yeah. So it's really interesting what she does there. And she's always presented as an equal to her husband for sure. When they have their scenes together, even though she's still being the concerned wife. Yes. That's really interesting. She has a very strong character, but she's still doing what we expect yeah. that kind of a character yeah. to do. She's trying to be the voice of reason, be like, are you sure you want to do something this crazy? Are yeah. you sure you're going to find this thing? And she doesn't back down. She doesn't back down. Whenever she, when he, when he first saw when the llama goes, your husband's climbing expedition. She goes, climbing. He's like, that was deliberate. And she keeps egging him. It's like, no, you can't do this. She doesn't go, all right, do your thing. Oh, yes, husband, go do your thing. She goes, no, no, I don't watch. And throughout the whole time, she goes, don't go, don't go, don't go. And she just reluctantly lets him go because she can't stop him. But I love that she forms her own expedition to go find him, you know? Yeah, well, I, well, I joked I, yeah. I joked when she was, because <laughs> her John had to work a little bit to get people to go. It's like, we're going to go climbing, and we're going to go find a yeti. And then they, they had to basically talk Kusang into going with them. Right. And then Helen comes around and she's like, I need volunteers to go on an expedition to find my husband. And uh, they're like, all the guys are like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go go hiking in the snow with pretty lady. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm sure the money helped. I'm sure a big bag of money she had in her hand helped. But they were still like, oh, yes. <laughs> Which That was also set up earlier because those guys were begging for their money. They helped Tom Friend come here and they were like, we want our money, want our money. And she's like, they want money, Foxy? I've called it to them. I'll give it to them. So it's like, yeah. So that's another setup and payoff. Mm-hmm. This movie's full of setups and payoffs like that. From the blizzard being announced on the radio to it actually happening later on to McNee slipping on the mountain. Like, yeah. They, 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 it's almost like setup and payoff are kind of important in stories. Y- you think? Oh. Uh-huh. Wow. It's like it's almost if you it's almost if you have a master's degree in this type of subject. Oh, thanks for reminding me. I I haven't brought that up in so long. I, I, I was worried people were going to forget I know about that. You forgot because you never talk about it and you're going to uh, shy about uh, it. Oh, okay. yeah. No one knows that I have a master's degree. No, 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 no. no, no, no. I do because I'm your friend. Oh, yes. I'm the one that matters. Yes. But so that's really interesting. So I'm just kind of doing like some rapid fire things, just finding oh, interesting things. I have so up, many notes. 
we got to talk a little bit more about this Peter. movie gives you a lot of notes it does i, I have like seven or eight but it pages <laughs> anyway not just notes but P- peter cushing is interesting in this because he said he had a nickname on the set. They called him Props Cushing because yep. he would he would just goof around with whatever props he had to the point that it drove them nuts. Because they never knew what he was going to pull. They out. never knew what he was, like they had the they, they had the out. ivory tooth, the yeti yeah. tooth that turned out to be a carving was, and not an actual yeah. tooth. And he would he was, I think in the script he was just supposed to look at it and examine it because he's a scientist. But when he with this, but he does like well, she, she, he gets like a tape measure and he starts playing with yep. the part that freaked them out. The the guys working on the props of this is he we got a nail file out. Actually, I think it was Helen who did it. Yeah. But you know he gets, she gets a nail file. She messes with he it, it her, yeah. which made them freak. I was like, don't damage the prop. <laughs> 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 yeah, he, it's yeah. Ba- it's basically any of us if somebody gets a little too close to our collections. <laughs> hey, what's this? Don't touch it. <laughs> is this a Godzilla? Oh, that's Varen. <laughs> it's Varen. Get it right. Varan. Varan. The unbelievable. Varan. Get it right. Yeah. yeah. So, and then he, I, they also said that whenever they would yell cut, he would be like, he would be very, very professional and proper, you know, uh-huh. br- British. And then the, the guest would yell cut and then he would suddenly break out into a cockney dance. And, dance. And, yeah. Dance. You know, and song. And then they ever, everyone would just, it would just be silly. And this is pre, like, Peter Cushing being Peter Cushing. Yeah. It's one of his earlier roles. This is before. Before Dracula, this is before uh, Sherlock Holmes, this mm-hmm. is before Grandma Tarkin, way mm-hmm. before that. Mm-hmm. So this movie really helped launch Peter Cushing. Yeah, the one Curse of, my- of Frankenstein was what really that did, did it. it. That did yeah, it. that did it. That did it. Yeah, but so, about, so- about side tangent, Peter Cushing is great in this movie <laughs> as a good guy, but when he plays Baron von Frankenstein, it's his practice of scum bucketry. <laughs> is just on point. Miriam Webster, add that. He's such a scumbag. As Frankenstein? Scumbaggery? His his practice of scumbaggery. Slime bucketry? Scumbucketry. Scumbucketry. Slime bucketry. I feel like you need to say that with a British accent. His his practice in the art of scumbucketry. (laughs) Is most profound, <laughs> and I find it most refreshing. Especially when he plays Bernard Frankenstein. It is so he's so coy, yet he's so malicious, delicious. <laughs> anyway, God, and thank God, fictitious. <laughs> wow. No, he no. When he plays Frankenstein, he plays a scumbag. Ooh, oh, is he nasty? Mm-hmm. He's just like. He's like, you're using a dead man's brain. Hardly, he's not using it. <laughs> so, oh, you, oh, you're such a prick. Oh, he's such uh, a prick. Oh, yep. <laughs> so, yeah, so he's he's great in this. He really is. Uh, so, uh, some interesting things I found out about Neil and Guest. They actually, uh, I believe Neil started off, yeah, it was, yes, Neil started off as an actor. He was also a journalist mm-hmm. who, and he was a critic. Yep. In Britain. And he said, like, I could, he was, I think he said it was called, like, Chandler the Magician. And he thought it was an awful movie. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know if the movie's real, to be honest. <laughs> Look into it, Jimmy, for your blog. And, <laughs> and he said, I could write something better than this. Well, guess who was still in England at the time? 
Alfred Hitchcock. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, oh, really? You think you can? You think you can make uh, write a better movie? Well, give it a try, and then and I'll let you use both hands because he said I could do it with one hand tied behind my back. And then he launched a career from there. Yeah, he did. Yeah, He's a good writer. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Good writer. <laughs> so I thought that was just kind of funny. Something that we should talk about. We we've hinted at it. The production value in this film is remarkably lavish for our typical Hammer movie, especially at this time. In one specific way. Because the they actually filmed some uh, some on location. They filmed a lot on a set in Pinewood Studios or Bray Studio, which apparently yeah. was just a glorified manor. Yeah. <laughs> it really wasn't a studio. It was a house. Yeah. But they, you know, and so they, particularly when we're in the mountains, that you can, if you're eagle-eyed, you can notice. But the editing is so superb, it's hard to necessarily yeah. catch it. You know, when they go from a set, a very moody set, I have to and say, with the, with the fake snow that's all polystyrene and yep. salt, and then actual mountain footage yeah. with a stunt crew mm-hmm. that had to, they got, you know, they spent a week learning how to ski so they could do this. <laughs> and, you know, so they, it was the French Pyrenees, and they filmed Jeez. on location there. And they got some establishing shots that look like they're out of Lord of the Rings <laughs> at <laughs> points. They're big scope mountain shots. Yeah. Like they're beautiful. They look mm-hmm. great. And the, I believe, was it Guest? Yeah, I think it was Guest said that, because he, wor- he worked on the TV version, he said everything was pretty easy until, they, he said, quote, unquote, they had to go 20,000 feet up. Because yeah. then they had to go because that's in the Switzerlands. It, mm-hmm. It's in Switzerland, so it made it hard. To, it was harder to do, and then he had to edit everything together. He described planning for this movie as being like planning for a war, pretty much. You yep. know, because it was such a big production. And, the, and it should be noted, should be noted that he had he was known for doing comedies at the time, but he went on to do some other genre films, including when dinosaurs ruled the earth. Yeah, <laughs> which has arguably the best stop motion I've ever seen. Some of. Some of the uh, the Redosaurus is in it. Yeah, the Redosaurus is in it. Yeah. 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 And it's got a baby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he said he was upset with how that one turned out because he said the producer mucked around with it without him knowing. Yeah, producers do that. Yeah. But, yeah, see, I know. I have one. He was known for... Uh, he was... <laughs> don't, don't muck with me. <laughs> I'm Matt Walsh. <laughs> no, but like Val Gaston made a lot of comedies. And this that, week, you are canceled. <laughs> oh, oh, la-dee-da. I'm so scared. But uh, no, he did comedies, and then he did Quatermass Experiment. Mm-hmm. Dropped it, serious sci-fi mm-hmm. movie. He did Quatermass Two. Did Abominable Snowman. He did uh, a thriller called. I have to show you the open. It's not. It's better than you think. It's called Stop Me Before I Kill. That's a title. That's a title, isn't it? Stop <laughs> Me Before I Kill, and it's about a, a guy who's a serial killer, but he wants to stop, but he can't stop. Hence the title. But he's like. And like he's he has a compulsive urge to like crash his car to to he has, he has impulse problems. The opening shot is absolute. I'll show you sometime. But the opening shot is like Hitchcockian brilliance. Oh jeez! To where I'm like, why not? Why did Valgas not get his yep. his time? Well, it, what's interesting is he wanted to have a quote unquote believable style. So some of the shots in this are done with a handheld cam. Reminds me a little bit of Honda. To be honest, that almost documentary, especially sort the, of feel. the tracking shots of the uh, mm-hmm. the mountain. They put it in a trolley. Mm-hmm. They just start, they open like you know those ski lifts mm-hmm. or trolley lift, and they just filmed it. And that's the other thing. I was listening to the commentary. It's like they didn't have like 
walkie-talkies to go, okay, and start walking up the mountain, and action. So, like, did they just tell them to start walking and just hope that they timed it correctly? I don't know. I don't know. He also said that Tucker, actually, he also said Tucker introduced a catchphrase on the show, a running yeah. gag, which was like, way. he would do a take and he didn't like it. He said, I want to do another one. It's like, all right, if that's how you want to be remembered. <laughs> all right. It's four star. All right. That's why I'd be remembered. Yep. That's how you want to be remembered, which is like, yep. That's just his, he was a very boisterous gusto filled guy. Forrest Tucker. He is the way he is in this movie, minus the lying. It's kind of how he is kind mm-hmm. of boisterous, blustery, blustery, blah, blah. So it's like, all right, that's why I'd be remembered. That's mm-hmm. why I'd be remembered. Mm-hmm. Yep, and he. Uh, you said he didn't want to show the snowman. Apparently, Hammer built an entire snowman. Like, as soon as he's like, I'm going to do a movie about the abominable snowman, they want to design it. And he's like, I don't want to. I don't want to. And <laughs> But then he said Hammer made a whole one. A, 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 a whole snowman prop that they were going to just like, I don't want to film it. Yeah, I'm not going to film it. I'm not going to film it. But they said that they used it for some promotional stuff. Right. He's and like, they, I thought it was a waste of money. And you know what? You they both what? him and I, was it, no Neil didn't do that. You know what? He's right. Mm-hmm. Then I show the monster, and that gives this movie way more power. Way more power. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. So, I, like I said, I'm just kind of rummaging through and I see what else we got there. Oh, the TV version was also 90 minutes, just like this one. Mm-hmm. It was on a Sunday night where they would do drama night. You know. Yeah. He said that guest had the had the uncanny talent of making thoughtful movies, even when they were quote unquote crap. Mr. Newsom, he was a what a glowing endorsement of your director. Here's a here's a piece of crap. He'll do it for us. He'll be, he'll be thoughtful about it, but <laughs> he'll be thoughtful about the crap he's making. Yep. Will it make us money? Yes. Yeah, okay. Mm. I'll be your uncle. I don't care. And there there was another film historian who said that Neil, the screenwriter, he said he had a a, a talent for taking archetypal characters and infusing them with dashes of quote unquote convincing work a day humanity. That's the other thing about this movie is that, especially like the like latter half of the movie, the way the dialogue happens, it's almost like Howard. It's kind of naturalistic. It's, it's naturalistic. overlapping dialogue. Yeah, it's like Howard Hawks. Yes, movies. yes. overlapping dialogue. Very Howard Hawks. Yeah, like, the the thing from another world. Yeah, they they don't just say put your torch out. Look out! Here comes the monster. What's that? Push it It's a There's like a, they overlap each other and they just kind of talk over each other. Mm-hmm. They do that. It it really like adds verisimilitude. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, that, I mean that's how that's how I talk to everybody on this podcast. I, I learned a word. <laughs> verisimilitude. 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 Yes, quite. <laughs> oh man, that, that's an old habit. I need to break. Spit spot. Yeah. <laughs> Should also note that the American producer on this, Robert L. Lippert, he co-produced many of Hammer's films in the 1950s, and this, and he's the one who had the the star here. I believe this was the last one he worked on. Lippert? I think it was it. No way. Was that the? This was his last one. Maybe I'm wrong. This was somebody's last Hammer movie. I know mm-hmm. that. Now, and Nigel Neal, he was talking about Tucker's performance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he said it was on par with Stanley Baker, who played. Tom Friend in the TV version, he yeah. said, Baker played it as a subtle, mean person. Forrest Tucker as a more extroverted bully. <laughs> but they were both good performances, and I found very little to choose. Tucker was, I think, an underrated and very good actor. He's right. He's very... Oh, Lippert... Okay. That might have been his last Hammer film. Yeah, it was his last Hammer he film. He also produced Return of the Fly. <laughs> 
The Alligator People. Oh my gosh. The Day Mars Invaded Earth. Oh, I wonder what that movie's about. I have no idea. <laughs> oh, it's, oh, it's about uh, the housing crisis. Oh, I bet. Yeah. yeah. He did uh, The Earth Dies Screaming. Yeah. However, and, however. And Lost Continent. Uh, oh, rock climbing? Rock climbing. Rock climbing, Joel. Uh, but here's the thing. According to makeup artist Phil Leakey, Mr. Guest didn't like Tucker. Huh. He said, Forrest Tucker might have been very good at some things, but to many people's minds, acting wasn't one of them, and I think he rather spoilt, he spelled the very British way, spoilt, 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 spoilt the picture. Well, I have to disagree with Val Guest. I thought he was great in this movie. Mm-hmm. He's great. Yep. Well, when they were in the French Pyrenees, they actually had a crank action camera that would, a clockwork camera that actually worked. Uh, a Newman Sinclair. Well, the French crew tried to use a conventional Mitchell VFC, and it constantly failed because of the cold. Because mm. it was a newfangled camera. This one's like, and it worked. Those things were built to last. It's, I mean, it's just like in Pacific Rim. The analog, yeah. the analog Jaeger is the one that wins. It was nuclear. Man, that's why there's a river. They melted the snow. <laughs> yep. Well, I've gotten through most of my important notes uh, on here anyway, but you said that you had a Val Guest Godzilla connection. I already brought up the Kong connection in this movie. Yes, I do. With Miss Connell, is that right? Yep, Connell. With Miss Connell? Mrs. Connell. That's weird, too. He's like, oh, I was just in the commentary. He goes, goes, oh, uh, that's Connell. She's married to John Gilliman. And I'm like, yeah, they, they they don't bring up King Kong. I was like, wait, John Gilliman? He did King Kong. He did okay. King like, Kong. And the Towering Inferno. And the Towering know. Inferno. Just, I'm sorry, but it's just funny that we watch a British movie and suddenly we have British accents again. I, <laughs> one of us does it better than the other. Oh, oh. snap. Oh, yeah, I'm, I, I'm sorry that yours sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> Walked into that one. I <laughs> <laughs> <Hey>, so... <laughs> You're himalarious. <laughs> I'm not a good person. But we. <laughs> I don't know about that uh, yeti. Since this film, si- you're cushing it. <laughs> you're in a whole forest of trouble. Hey, be my guest. <laughs> the Vic guest. Kneel before me. <laughs> And now anybody who was still listening, if they if they got through all the Matt Walsh bit, yep. yeah, they're like, I'm done. <laughs> you sure are foxy. Yeah. Anyway, since I've been listening to you, your podcast, I thought, okay, this is the, of course, called the Monster Island Film Vault, right? Monster movies. Godzilla being the G. Big G, right? The big G. The big G. Godzilla. Big man on campus. He's Godzilla. So I'm like, I'm a hardcore G fan. You know this. You met me at G Fest. I have a G I have a G Fest shirt on right now. Okay. So I thought, okay, I'm gonna look it up and see if there's a connection between Godzilla and Bomble Snowman. There has to be. It's an incestuous business. <laughs> I looked it up. Val Guest does have a connection to Godzilla. Do tell. But it's not the one we want. Mm-hmm. It is not the one we want. He has uncredited footage of his films used in what is possibly the most notorious Godzilla film ever made. 
Notoriously because most people have not seen it. That is Luigi Cozy's 1977 <laughs> Godzilla in color. Cozilla? Cozilla. His films are in Cozilla? Some of Val Guest's films, I don't know which one because I have not seen the movie because it's not available anywhere. Anywhere is in this I'm movie. I'm sure if I dig hard enough, I can find it. Please do, because this movie is notorious. To those who don't know, Luigi Cozilla, Luigi Cozy, was a, an, Ita- an Italian filmmaker who directed <laughs> movies like... Hold on, I'm looking up. Hold on, I got. We were we, we were doing an entire Italian bit before we started. You, expe- you didn't expect me to <laughs> before say. we started broadcasting. It was what <laughs> you didn't expect me to say that, did you? Luigi Cozy. No, no, I was not expecting Cozilla. His films include Star Crash. Ah. <laughs> Enough said. Enough oh. Said. Oh, oh. And contam- uh, contamination. Oh, I bet Star Crash. Uh, Star Crash. Uh, if if, uh, if not for the fact that Jimmy was... <laughs> if not for the fact that it's about Jimmy's life story, that would be his favorite Star Wars knockoff. Yep. In 1977, the film was purchased... Godzilla 54 was purchased and colorized by Luigi Cozy in a terrible way of an old negative. That is on the IMDb. <laughs> <laughs> The official IMDb synopsis. Just told you it's terrible. <laughs> yeah, I just said it's terrible. And it's a movie where Luigi Cozy took the 54 Godzilla and 56, colorized it. with You know about this movie, right? Have you heard about this? Yeah, you know about yeah. this. But those who don't know, he colorized it with like a red, a surreal, ugly, red, purple, pink filter. Right? Yes, Yes. Yes, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's clearly the man was on LSD. Yeah, he was. The movie looks like LSD, and what makes it worse, <laughs> it looks more like LSD than Guzzle versus Hedera. Looks like LSD <laughs> in a bad way. He incorpor- Luigi Cozy just and that incorporated a bunch of like footage from like other movies to try to like make his own movie out of it. He then incorporated actual World War II footage. Some of the footage. He, he was like, I think he used, correct me if I'm wrong, look it up, we'll look it up later. He used actual Vietnam War footage of people actually being killed. which is So it's of, a snuff film? It's borderline, which is why, part of the reason why. Oh, no. Oh, no, no, what? Oh, no. What did you find? Oh, no, no. Oh, no. No, no, what? Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, you're finding out about this live, kaiju lovers. What is it? Well... This is available on, shall we say, an archive on the interwebs. The archives? Yes, that archive. Okay. Keep talking. I'm going to see if I can find the list of movies that are in this. Because here are the lists. Because he, Luigi, oh, I want to see this movie. He used actual footage of like World War II and Vietnam. And he actually included footage of people being killed via flamethrower. Is that a list of directors there? Yes, it is. Now, it's unclear, because I've never seen this movie, so I don't know what movies he's butchered to be in this, but the director, Luigi Cosi, butchered a bunch of movies, cobbled them together to make his own movie. And as I said, this film contains actual scenes of actual human So it's death. a snuff film. It's borderline snuff, and I hate it. 
I hate that. Like, no, that's someone's life being taken away. Luigi Cozy, you don't make your sci-fi movie with that footage. That's that's debaucherous and gross. Probably one of the reasons why we haven't seen it. And also, the copyright issues are going to be insane because here's the list of directors on this movie: <clears throat> Luigi Cozy makes sense. Ishiro Honda makes sense. Terry Morse, who directed scenes from Godzilla King of the Monsters, Monsters makes, makes yeah. sense. Kurt Newman, he directed the original The Fly, She Devil, Rocket Ship XM. Motoyoshi Oda, who directed Godzilla Raids Again, as we discussed that this movie has footage from Godzilla Raids Again. Eugene Laurier, who directed The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming footage from Beast from 20,000 Fathoms is in this movie. And the one that really sticks out to me. <laughs> well, Val Guest, of course. I'm assuming they use footage from like either Quatermass or Abominable Snowman for Luigi Cosi's movie. But the one that really stands out is Arthur Penn. He directed Bonnie and Clyde. What? Yes. So those are the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight credited directors, including today's movie's director, Val Guest. Wow. That hurts my brain. I'm, like I'm still li- trying. I am still trying to find the list of movies that are in this because I want to know which is Val there, Guest movie is in this. Is there a list of like. They talk about the Japanese films and the newsreel footage, but that's about it. From what I was seeing, I'll have to dig a little bit deeper. <laughs> hey, Jimmy, when you listen, when you listen to this, look up the list and find this movie. I need to see the... I told you. It's on an archive on the interwebs. An archive on the interwebs. Okay, I shall look up this archive. There are two versions, even. One is a 1080p restoration. Oh, oh my God. Supposedly. Oh, my God. Okay, define the archives version of 1080p. Define that. But anyway, so that is where Val Guest has his connection to Godzilla. The most notorious G-film probably ever. Someone's going to ask for that, aren't yeah. they? And I'm going to have to cover this on and the podcast. Probably, I'll pay for it because I brought it up. I opened up the box. And also, look. The, it, the Pandora's box. box you're going to put How much this. are you willing to pay me to talk about this? I need to see it. I need to see it. First of all, I love Val Guest. I love this movie. I love Abominable Snowman. I need to know that Luigi. Because Luigi Cozy just took scenes from other movies and cobble them together to make another one, which is lazy and stupid, and I hate it. Especially the war footage scene, like actual human death, human carnage. No, sir. No, sir. But yeah, that's uh, that's Val Guest's connection to Godzilla. Wow. He's in Coast. That was not the connection I was expecting. I honestly thought you were going to tell me it was like, it's a footage from his movies was used in Godzilla 98, because I know nope. that did happen. No, 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 no. It was no, like, no, no. wait. One of his movies was in there. I thought I already I knew you. what what movies were in there. I told you it's the one we didn't want. Oh my I'll t- god! I'll, I'll take I'll take Godzilla's Revenge at this point. But it's like nope, <laughs> it's in it's in Godzilla. <laughs> I hey Elijah, you can't say that City on the Edge of Battle is the worst Godzilla film anymore. We found it. We you should you know about Godzilla. We trumped them all. You you, you we you should mm, you need to change your mind, son. Anyway. 
Oh, man. Tell me he used clips of Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> Make it look like Godzilla shooting them all. No, like the cop got the, yeah, yeah. shooting in the air. I mean, I've been seeing, I have been seeing this meme float around the internet where they have the legendary Godzilla popping out of the water holding a machine gun. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, this is I the real American too. Godzilla. I saw that, too. I saw that, too. So is Faye Dunaway and Warren Beatty shooting at Godzilla? I hope so. No, I think it's Godzilla shooting at them. Oh, that, that, explains, that explains the ending. That explains the ending of Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> oh, man. We need to land this plane before we, we crash it. <laughs> we have been talking for quite a while, my friend. Yeah, which I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. But this is what the kaiju lovers come to expect. But, but if I can get your like a final thoughts. Final thoughts. Are we sure. Doing that right now? Can we do that? Mm-hmm. Final thoughts? What do you think about this? Movie? I mean, you. this is practically your episode, man. Do it. Yep. <laughs> I want to. Okay. <clears throat> Hello, kaiju lovers. Nathan Marchand. What are your thoughts on this movie? Better than I expected. I was pleasantly surprised by it. And like I said, I, I'm willing to say it's better than half human. I highly recommend people, if you're a Hammer fan, if you're a Kaiju fan, go find this. It's, it is surprising. I will say that. Just make sure you're going with the right expectations. If you're like, if you're going to be like Mr. Neil, where it's like, I need to see the monster. Well, you might be a little disappointed at that point, but you know, cause, but cause it's not a typical hammer film no, in that regard. It isn't. So go in with the proper expectations. And I think you'll, you're going to have a very good time with it. I had the exact same thought. Actually, I wanted this movie expecting when I first got it. I got this movie years ago when I was a kid, I bought it on VHS. I thought, Oh, hammer, Bombo snowman, monster movie, Val Guest, director of Quatermass and Quatermass two. Okay. And I was expecting a monster movie. And I didn't get it, and I loved it for it. It's thought-provoking. It's atmospheric. Great. It's well-written, well-acted, more contemplative and philosophical. And that's where its strengths lie. And I'm really happy you liked it. I'm really happy you liked it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely one of the better Patreon picks that I've had. <laughs> it's the most anti-Hammer Hammer film and I love it for it, which I didn't think I'd say. And that's where its strength is. But also, Nathan, I want to say thank you for having me on the show, man. I've been listening to your show for a long time. I've listened to so many episodes. Hey, we're not even done yet. Okay. We got we got to we, we got to no, close out the show. Save the sap for when we actually close out the show. Okay, fine. Okay, cuz here we go. I mean, gee whiz, man, you start doing this, you start giving me the sap early, you're going to give me the diabetes. I'm just <laughs> saying. <laughs> but first, I do. Uh, I have a bit of listener feedback. That's the other reason I wanted to make sure we got to this. I have a little oh, bit of listener feedback right, okay, I want to okay. go over. Cool. I addressed this with a bunch of other listener feedback mm-hmm. in what I called the interlude between seasons three and four. This is from Diego D. He listened to my response to his previous email, and he wrote a response to that. So, for those who don't know, it, I was talking about the awful, awful, awful Annie from the Skull Island quote-unquote anime. By the way, Annie is still banned from Monster Island. Even the board can't stand her. And Diego writes in response to that, saying, Good day and thank you. I received the books last week and just wanted to say thank you, because he... I owed him copies of some of my books, so I made sure he got them. I haven't had a chance to read either yet. Had family in town, and we'll get to them shortly. Here's the main thing I wanted to talk about. Nice defense 
of your stance on girl uh, on girl boss rant. But I just figure a poorly written slash developed character, whether male or female, has always been a thing. I'd rather a character fighter stand up for themselves than be the person who, that trips or sh- it's, it's supposed to be shirks, but he wrote Shreks. <laughs> Some body once told me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but truthfully, Annie was not a great character. Oh, we agree on that. <laughs> but there was no one in Skull Island that made a good impression but Annie and Dog were memorable, if for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> True. When Dog is the best character. You messed up. Uh-huh. Best of luck this year, and the changes to format sound great. <laughs> so I, I was I, I was very happy. I, I thought he was going to try to pick a fight with me, I'm going to be honest with you. Because you know, that was a pretty epic rant when I had the cell cast on and we laid into that character. We mm. did not like her. We were far nicer to the other terrible characters than we were to Annie. She was so insufferable. The other terrible character. <laughs> yeah, she was so, so insufferable. <laughs> but, you know, he was a good sport about it. And I appreciate it. And I also appreciate it. I'm going to say this right now. I do highly encourage everyone, especially with the new season underway, do send feedback on whatever episode it can be from season four. It can be all the way back to season one. I don't care. Just send us feedback and I'll answer it on the air. Listen to the credits so you can hear the, the email address. It's a new email. We're going with a new email address because I was some goofy things were happening. That's why I ended up having to talk with Diego. It was because his emails were being sent to the spam folder. It was kind of annoying. Mm-hmm. So, you know, please send us feedback so we can talk about this. But I thought he was going to pick a fight with me, but he called me out on something. He's like, can you explain more about that? I answered it thoroughly, and he wrote back. He's like, yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> we need more discourse like this. Crisis averted. Yeah, we See? need more. We need more discourse like this. Actually, engage with somebody. Hear what they have to say. Have them clarify what they mean if you don't quite get it. Talk to listen, not to react. Uh huh. Please. Do or what's the word? Uh, listen to to learn, not to react. Mm-hmm. Not because you want to talk, because you want to listen to them and just. just wasn't there something? React, yeah, wasn't there a line saying? in this movie about listening? What? I'm pretty sure there was mm. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure there was a line in this movie about listening. I'm just trying to remember what it was. The llama said it mm. because, of course, he did. Right. Well, so you said about the, the the he must maintain his kingdom, not for himself. But for, what was the line? His uh, departure. Well, for successors. His successors. And man finds, uh, by his own actions, mm-hmm. man be, uh, will find uh, destruction by his own actions. Mm-hmm. Remember this. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But, oh, now you're going to get the, f- well, there's a couple more things that you have to do to get the full MIFV experience. And they are? Well, the first one we need to do is the Patreon shout-outs! I shall ask me once again, will you chant my name? Danny Damana! Eli Harris! Bex from Redeemed Otaku! Executive producer, Damon Noise! The Cellcast! Eric Anderson! Ted Williams! Winja, the ninja. 
Brad. Batman. Edelman. Christopher. Reiner. The indiscreet one. I hope I said that right. <laughs> Jake. Hambrick. Edwin. Gonzalez. Me. But not that me. This me. Jonathan Cartwright. And our newest patron, Robert Keed. Tofu Fiore. Why didn't they take him to go find the Yeti? <laughs> he would scare the thing right out of the mouth. Yeah, it would scare all of them. That, 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 no, he, he might, he might actually he have murdered he, them. He would have caused an avalanche. They would have fallen down. <laughs> climb the mountain. No need. <laughs> <laughs> just fall down to their feet. <laughs> Splat. Yeah. It's like, that's no, we wanted them alive. <laughs> Too bad. <laughs> my job is done. Uh, yeah, my job is done. I replace Kusang. <laughs> I I bring you Yetis by uh, I bring you Yetis to you. <laughs> I I am not a Jew. I'm <laughs> <laughs> I am actually Asian. <laughs> but as Asian as Matt Walsh. <laughs> as Matt Walsh. This is what you get instead of Key Luke. <laughs> okay. Now that we've had our fun, mm -hmm. I got to let everybody know what our next couple episodes are going to be. Because the world tour marches on, and we're going to be joined by the most sighted man on this podcast. That being a Mr. John LeMay. Almost no episode goes by without him being cited in the show notes, which you should totally read on mustarlandfilmfault.com. Because they're not going into what goes on to like the podcatchers now because it keeps getting cut off and it offends me. So I leave a link <laughs> to the website to go see it all. But you should totally check the sources so you can do your own study on all of How this. How does he write so damn much talent? Oh, rub, yeah, rub that in my face. Oh, yeah. But anyway. <laughs> I, got, I guess I got to go shop. Anyway, so we, st we launched the world tour talking about Shaw Brothers with Super Inframan. There was quite an adventure after that episode. I'll leave it at that. Well, we're getting some more Shaw Brothers, because believe it or not, they did more kaiju with Mighty Peking Man, Ooh. a.k.a. Goliathon, among other names. Yes, I know. <laughs> there, There's another reason people watch that movie, because it's hard not to look at her, even when the big... Not ape. It's not... When the big... Man beast. Man beast. Yeti, yes, whatever. Yeti. The mm. monster. Yeah, you're looking at other at something else. I'm just saying. It's just the Raquel Welsh effect. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, one movie was BC. Uh, TM. Yeah, one, one Raquel Welsh effect. TM. Why? why so you're watching one movie. You watching one movie was BC for the dinosaurs. The dinosaurs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's like it's like those things. Like I watch such and such for the plot. The plot, and it's just a picture of a hot chick. <laughs> See, I'm watching one movie was BC for Ray Harryhausen effects. Ray Harryhausen effects. Raquel Raquel <laughs> so yes, he's coming on to talk about Mighty Peking Man. And as per board mandates, that's the next escaped kaiju we need to locate. Jimmy, you better find him. And soon. I'm just saying, how hard can, how can he hide? I'm just, whatever. 
you would think he would have gone back to India. But no, he came to Hong Kong. You would have thought he would have been PTSDing a little too hard to go to Hong Kong. He'll blend in with the rest of them. Wow. <laughs> that, was, that was another Matt Walsh. Yeah, I, I, other the Matt other Walsh. Matt Walsh is canceling you for that. <laughs> no, that was, that was, no, the other Matt Walsh said that. It wasn't. Oh, oh, that was other Matt Walsh. Matt Walsh. Okay, so he's can, he's, he'll cancel himself. All right, and then Godzilla Redux will continue. And what's next? Destroy all monsters? No, not yet for reasons. But we have the next best thing. Godzilla the series Monster Wars. Cool. That three-parter. <laughs> <laughs> well, easily the three best episodes of the show. An already great show, I might add. Mm-hmm. The sequel we should have gotten. <laughs> the sequel we deserved. Yeah. <laughs> to see, Godzilla see, see Holland Enlich? That wasn't so hard, was it? Yeah, yeah. Just do that. So, there you go. And this will actually this is the third time that we've done some coverage of that show. And we will after that episode. We will have knocked out eight out of the 40 episodes. Okay, cool. There you go. Almost a quarter. Almost a quarter. And and obviously, if we're talking about animated Godzilla, well, them Cellcast boys, they got to come join us for that one. So... That's gonna be a fun. That's gonna be a fun trip. Drew and Jake are always great to have on the show. And they've had me on their show a couple of times, including one for an awful animated Titanic movie that has a kaiju in it. The octopus. Yes, I seen that movie. It sits upon a throne of lies. Go find it. Watch it. It is horrible. or don't. It is no. It is horribly offensive. No, the Titanic didn't sink. A giant octopus put it back together. See, kids, everything was all right. Sets upon a throne of lies. Anyway, now, now you get the final step in your full MIFV experience. Oh, boy. Shameless self-promotion. Shameless self-promotion. Okay. Go. Oh, I was going to say. Oh, oh, that's it. Well, I, I am not a podcaster. I don't have a show of my own like you do. However, what I do have, I'm an actor. <clears throat> I've been doing theater for many years. If you can't tell by my obnoxiously loud voice. I've been doing theater since I was about 14 years old, and I belong to a couple of theater groups. I belong to two theater groups mainly. They're called the Beverly Theater Guild in Beverly, Illinois. And my other home is a company called Galaxy Theater. <laughs> and their 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 tagline is <laughs> The tagline is find your star. See, oh. these are not professional companies. These are not funded. These are not big name companies. These are community companies. They're not for profit. They do this for passion. All I ask is everyone look up Beverly Theater Guild, Galaxy Theater. And if you wish to send them a little love by way of a donation, mayhaps, we would be eternally grateful to, for you to help us keep the lights on so we can do the, the, the craft that we love. All right, that's uh, that, that was wonderfully heartfelt. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. And just a quick reminder, this is not the only podcast that I do. If you would like to hear me talk about other kinds of tokusatsu, mainly television, go check out Henshin Men, 
which has been focused primarily on the original Common Rider. It's branched out to talk about some Ultraman and a few newer Common Rider projects, which uh, which has been tremendous fun. And then there's also the Power Trip: A Journey Through the Power Rangers franchise, which I co-host with Michael Hamilton. It's for the most part done. Henshin Men is the same way. But there's a couple of episodes that I'm hoping to get out for both of those just to wrap things up. And there is another related project to both of them that I may talk about a little bit later. That you know, might be a, a reboot, a reboot, shall we say? Of what? Of those podcasts. Oh, more on that later. And then also check out my author website, NathanJSMarchand.com. And make sure, again, you check the show notes to get links to all of our social media, including a brand new Discord server for all of you wonderful kaiju lovers. All right, with that, where's Jimmy? I can't tell him to roll the credits. Ah, Ah, But I'm here, and I have one more thing to say since I'm Jimmy today. Oh, that is... I thank you, Nathan, for having me on the show. I'm having a blast. I've been listening to you for a long time. So being here is really, really freaking cool, man. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. It was a pleasure having you on. Let's let's do this again. We should. We should. Just make sure you want to spend as much money as you do. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, I will. <laughs> oh! He got his one Jet Jaguar dump button. I've been sitting on that for over two hours. <laughs> All right, well, where's that? All right, okay. Normally, Jimmy does this. Where's the... Oh, come on. Where's it's, the it's, there. it's right there. It's right there. It's where's right, the, it's right there. It, the bu- it says credits. It says credits. It says credits. It's that button. Okay, okay. Here we go. All right, here Thank you for listening to the Monster Island Film Vault, a podcast produced and hosted by Nate Marchand. Our executive producer is Damon Noyes. If you want to be heard on the show, we'd love to hear from you. So email us at monsterislandfilmvault at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok. You can also follow Jimmy from NASA on Twitter and our many colorful characters using the links in the show notes, which are on our website, monsterislandfilmvault.com. Don't forget to join our official Facebook group and Discord server, The Markalite Lounge. Our podcast logo was designed by Rebecca Hudgens. Follow her on Twitter and Instagram at super underscore r underscore illustrations. Sound effects sourced from freesound.org and created by J.P. Gant. Our theme song is Wanderer on the Offensive, live edit by B33J, Serax, Juan Madrano, and Nonsensical Lexus, which is a remix of Counterattack and The Opened Way by Koatani from Shadow of the Colossus. Additional music includes Every Country Has a Monster, performed by Jonah Ray, and Chant My Name, a cover by Second Archive of the song by Masaki Endo. All film and audio clips belong to the respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended or implied. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and or Podchaser to spread the word about the show. You can even support us by joining MIFV Max on Patreon. MIFV is a Moonlighting Ninjas media production and a proud member of Pod Nation. Sayonara! Sayonara.